following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Hello everybody, it's Monica, your host, welcoming you to another Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, and that Sunday is um, like a Sunday that you mix an ice cream sundae. Um, So anyway, um, sometimes I do a a specific theme, sometimes I do just like a mixed bag, Uh, and this week it's my mixed bag is well, it's not really a mixed bag it's it's uh, thrillers so um anyway if you like what you hear um be sure to like us on facebook um we're on youtube um on twitter so uh we'd like to hear your comments or your requests whatever you'd like and, um, anyway, if you don't like any of those options, we're on any podcast that you might want. Apple, QCast, Spotify, any of those, um, and anything that's out there, um, you'll find it. So, anyway, give, give us your comments, whatever, requests. And uh, now I reckon we're ready to go. Um, I have my co-host and tech geek, Victor Gouveia. Hello. And he's he's with me. I don't know what I would do without him. (laughs) But anyway, um, the first one we're going to do for you is... I love Hall of Fantasy. I hope you will too. Um, I should put a reverb on that. (laughs) I should put a reverb on there on that so it goes the Hall of Fantasy. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. But anyway, I love Hall of Fantasy, and the one that I picked for you today. uh, Let me just say, be careful of who might offer you a snifter of wine. It's called The Cast of Montillato, and I liked it, and I hope you will, too. And now, The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio dramas. Dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friends. We shall descend to the world of the unknown and forbidden. Down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted, and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of... The Cat of Amontillado. 
wicked fool, Fortunato. That he should dare to insult the names of my ancestors. For that I swear, Fortunato shall die. In just a moment, the Hall of Fantasy will present The Cask of Amontillado. And now for our story. Adapted for radio by Richard Thorne, entitled The Cask of Amontillado. As my story begins, it was carnival time in Venice, a time of feasting and merrymaking. Fortunato and I had been celebrating with all the rest. Perhaps we'd indulge our taste for wine too greatly that day. But that was when it began. The day was almost spent, and we were standing in front of my house watching the crowd. Ah, yes, my friend. The carnival has been a great success. True, Fortunato. Did you know that it was one of my ancestors who made the plans for the carnival over four generations ago? What? Oh, come now, Montrezor. You're not serious. <laughs> it's not your Fortunato. It's in the records of the family for any who wish to see. Ah, I cannot believe you. It was one of the foremost swordsmen of his age. In fact, all the male members of the family were renowned for their ability with a foil. <laughs> even you, Montrezor? <laughs> yes, my friend, even Montrezor. <laughs> Those spindly legs, you, a swordsman? <laughs> Take care, Fortunato. What? You dare threaten me. How do you like it, Montrezor? How do you like the point of my rapier at your throat? Fortunato. Please, do you fancy yourself a great swordsman? <laughs> it's so funny, Montrezor. You look at you all white in the face. So frightened. <laughs> so brave. <laughs> I do not know about your ancestors, Montrezor. But you certainly have made this carnival the funniest in a long time. <laughs> a great swordsman. <laughs> I bid you a brave farewell, Montrezor. <laughs> gone, the echoes of his spat laughing his face remained in my brain. <laughs> I went into the house and thought to see no more of him that night. Little by little, the remaining hours of the carnival wasted away until finally I heard the great bell striking midnight, marking the end of the celebration. I sat in the library reading, but the printed words refused to be silent and rearranged themselves into a likeness of Fortunato's face. <laughs> mind was playing tricks on me. That I knew. But of a sudden, a shadow fell across the pages. Hey, Montresor. What's your honor? How did you get in? <laughs> Don't be alarmed, my good Montresor. One of your servants was so kind as to allow me entrance. What do you want? Oh, come now, Montresor. You wouldn't refuse a good friend the hospitality of your house, would you? I forgot. It's past midnight. The wine shops are closed. <laughs> yes, quite true, Montresor. So I came to you. May I offer you some wine? Well, I hope you would. Yes, I imagine you did. Here, Fortunato. Yeah, many thanks, Montresor. <laughs> There's nothing like fine wine. That's why I like you so much, Montresor. Why? Well, no matter what you are, your wine cellar is filled with the finest of wine. Thank you for your compliment, Fortunato. <laughs> but uh, there's one wine you do not have. That is? Amontillado. Someday I hope that you will procure some Amontillado. Amontillado is the rarest wine in all of Italy, Fortunato. But for your friend, Fortunato, you might perhaps get some? We shall see, my friend. Now you were about to leave. <laughs> yes, Montresor, I shall leave. But before I do, pour me another glass of wine. I drink to the great uh, 
swordsman in your family. <laughs> you didn't lie to me about your family, Montracer. I know them for what they are. And that was? Fools and cowards, Montracer, all of them. What you say, my ancestors should be well-tempered with thought, Fortunato. Oh, it was, Montracer, it was. Fortunato, if you... No matter. You're drunk. You're not responsible for what you say. Drunk? <laughs> I never drink enough to muddle my brain, Montracer. I mean what I say. Just the same. I'll excuse you this time. Why, excuse me? What I have said is the truth. I think perhaps you'd better leave. <laughs> yes, my friend, I shall leave. <laughs> but before I do, however, may I ask if you're going to the party tomorrow night? Yes, I am. Why? Oh, merely asking. Of course, Rosita will be there. Yes, I know. <laughs> Lovely girl, Rosita. Yes, I know. <sighs> I shall be going. Do. So I shall accompany you to the door. No need, my friend. I'm steady enough to make it myself. <laughs> to let the insult pass this time. But if it occurred again, I would settle the score with Fortunato. The next night, I was with Rosita at the ball. It's a lovely party, Montrezl. Yes, Rosita, and with you here, it's all the lovely. You flatter me. It is deserved. Rosita. Yes? I've been observing you closely of late, Rosita. Indeed. Yes. And do you find me pleasing? Well, you know I do. I was wondering... Oh, well, here you are, Montreal. Out in the balcony. Nice, thought... You thought you'd lost me, huh? <laughs> well, listen, it'll take much more than you to outwit me, Montreal. <laughs> I wondered where you were, Fortunato. Oh, indeed, Rosita? <laughs> well, of course I do not doubt it. Montreal is such a terrible boor. I do not make excuses, my friend. Family were boors, and therefore you cannot help it. Jenny, <laughs> Rosita. Sure Forgive me for bothering you, Rosita. I have come looking for you in the hope that I may have the next dance, Rosita. But I promise you. Don't let me worry, Rosita. Dance, dance with Fortunato. Are you sure you don't mind? Only too sure. Montreal doesn't mind. How could such a dull does he mind anything? Shall we go, my dear? Goodbye, Montreal. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. so far as to insult me before Rosita to deliberately interfere between Rosita and myself to... I knew then that Fortunato would pay for his insults for I hated him more than anyone else on earth it was then I swore that Fortunato would die back now to our story adapted especially for radio by Richard Thorne entitled the cask of Amontillado. I determined then to even the score, to revenge the desecration of my name, of my family honor, and immediately into my brain flooded a host of ideas to destroy him. When were his weak points? How could I catch him at a disadvantage? If only I could lure him down into the catacombs beneath my house. Few people knew of the vast subterranean caverns that lay beneath the house. But how to get them there? Let me see... Something he said might give me a clue. Something he said. <laughs> Fools and cowards, Montreal. Fools and cowards. Oh, no, not that. Something else. <laughs> what I said about your ancestors still holds true, Montreal. <laughs> Montreal, don't forget the Amontillado. The Amontillado. The Amontillado. Don't forget the Amontillado. Don't forget the 
cats from a Montpellier. Wine drinker, was he? A connoisseur of fine wines, eh? That was it. That was the way to accomplish my revenge. A Montagliato, the rarest wine in all of Italy. Fortunato would die for a glass of a Montagliato. Yes. Fortunato would die for a glass of a Montagliato. Accordingly, a few days later, I sent him a message saying I would like to meet him at his favorite place of entertainment with wine merchants in, of course... I waited anxiously for his answer. Yes? A message for you, Signor Montresor. From whom? Signor Fortunato bade me give it to you. Oh, thank you. Good. And thank you for your tidings, lad. Here's something for your trouble. Oh, thank you, Signor Montresor. Fortunato had agreed to meet me on the morrow. My nerves were tense and the time moved so slowly. I sat by the hourglass the entire night and part of the next day watching the grains of sand mark off the time. Finally, when I knew I could bear to wait no longer, the time arrived. Ah, Senor Montreso. Oh, good day, Peroni. I was just leaving. Senor Fortunato was over by the window. Confidentially, Montreso, I'm glad you're here. When he's had too much to drink, he... He's a destructive man. Well, I should take care of him, Peroni. Thank you, Senor Montresor. Uh, while I'm gone, and if you want something, just call my wife. Uh, she's in the rear. Thank you, Peroni. Good day, Senor Montresor. So you come in, Montresor. Come and join me. I'm quite glad you could meet me today, Fortunato. I hope I didn't inconvenience you by asking you to meet me here. <laughs> Absolutely not, Montresor. If you had, I wouldn't be here. What are you drinking? Sherry. Will you have a glass? Yes, you can pour me a glass of sherry. Well, I assure you, my friend, it's the very best. There you are. <laughs> Excuse me, Aunt Tracer. I have a cold. You should take better care of yourself, Fortunato. Okay, it will pass. Well, then, tell me, what did you wish to see me about? Perhaps I'd better not mention it. Oh, come, come, Aunt Tracer. Don't tell me you wanted to see me for nothing. Well, I wanted your advice on something. Oh, what? You see, I have procured a cask of what is supposed to be a Montagliano. A Montagliano? Where? When? From whom? That I cannot tell you, but you see, I have my doubts about it. A cask of a Montagliano? A whole cask? It sounds impossible. I agree with you, my friend. It does sound impossible. Perhaps I was foolish to pay the full Montagliano price without consulting you in the matter. But... You were not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. No, I can't get over it. Montagliato. I have my doubts for you. Montagliato. And I'm a satisfied Montagliato. I had contended for <laughs> Lucchese. If anyone should know, it should be he. He will tell oh, you. Lucchese is a fool. But he cannot tell a Montagliato from, from the common sherry. And yet some people say his taste is a match for your own. They lie. Well, that is a matter of opinion. No, they lie, I tell you. <laughs> Lucchese is an imposter. I think I'd better be going. I'm going with you. My friend, no. I will not impose upon your good nature. I... You will not go to Lucchese. Montresor, are you insulting me? Why, no, Fortunato. I merely thought... I care not for what you think. <laughs> I will go with you. It is really your cold that I worry about, Fortunato. It's damp in the cellars. Very damp and very cold. It matters not to me. This cold is a mere nothing. But a Montagliano. Yeah, I must know if you've been swindled. Oh, and uh, Montresor. Yes? Forget about Lucchese. He knows nothing about fine wines. As you say, my friend. Shall we 
go. When we reached the house, there were no attendants present. I'd made sure that we'd be entirely alert. Before we go downstairs, my friend, let us fortify ourselves against the cold and dampness with some wine. The catacombs would undoubtedly make your cold much worse. Yeah, a capital idea, Montresor. A little sherry, if you please. Yeah, not too much, <laughs> but not too little, either. I have no fears, Fortunato, my friend. It'll be just yeah, right. Yes, yes. Let me have it. Makes me feel better. Much better. Have another glass, Fortunato. Yeah, no, 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 no. Please, please. Well, on second thought, Montresor, <laughs> yes, I will have another glass. <laughs> I thought so. Here you are, Fortunato. Yeah, many thanks, Montresor. Drink heartily. Who knows, you may not be alive tomorrow to enjoy it. I, uh, <laughs> yes, Montresor, how right you are. <laughs> what a sense of humor you have. <laughs> but I intend to be alive tomorrow. <laughs> but then, who can tell? <laughs> yes, who can tell? Back now to our story, adapted especially for radio by Richard Thorne, entitled The Cask of Amontillado. We finished the wine and sat talking for a few minutes. Then, seeing his eagerness was at its height, I led him to the archway that led down into the vaults. We passed down a long and winding stairway. At length, we came to the foot of the descent and stood together on the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montresors. Here we are, Fortunato, in the catacombs of the Montresors. Yes, but the cask of the Montellano, where is it? It is farther on, Fortunato. Uh, see, the walls of this place are so dirty. I hate to be caught down here. How long have you had that cough? Uh, oh, it's nothing. Let us proceed. No, we'll go back. Your health is precious. You'll be ill and I'll be responsible. We might even become lost. Besides, there's always occasion. Enough! The cough is nothing. I shall not die of a cough. True. True, Fortunato. You will not die of a cough. I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily, Fortunato, but you should use the proper caution. Now, there's a bottle of wine on the rack here. Let us have some to make you forget the dismalness of this place. <laughs> yes, by all means. It's so damp and cold down here. Sorry, I have no glass to offer you. No, don't stand up. Ceremony, Montresor. <laughs> here, let me have the bottle. Here. This is the family crypt, is it not? Yes, this is the crypt of the Montresors, an ancient and honorable family. Yeah, well, then, I drink to the buried that repose around us. And I... I drink to your long life. <laughs> yes, that's a good toast. In my long life. You know what, Jason? These vaults are extensive. What would happen if we were to be lost down here? I will not be lost, Fortunato. Still, uh, perhaps we should go back. And leave the Amontillado? Well, we could return another time. You're afraid? I can always get location. No, 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 no. Let us proceed to the Amontillado. After all, we shall only be here for a little while. If you insist, Fortunato... If you insist. <laughs> coughing grew worse, but I said nothing. I figured he was not quite so enthusiastic about finding the Amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on, and descending again, arrived at a deep crypt. 
Avon Fraser. Where is the Amontillado? The Amontillado? Oh, yes, in the crypt, Fortunato. I, I can't. Where? In that low crypt ahead of you. Why, it's just tall enough for a man of my size. Yes, isn't it? But uh, I do not see the castle of Amontillado. Oh, but you will, Fortunato. You will. You wouldn't want to turn back now, would you? A man of your courage. I will not have it said that Fortunato is a coward. Now then, just where is the Amontillado, Montreal? Lift your torch a little higher, Fortunato. You'll see it. Where? Just inside this niche, Fortunato. Just inside. Why did you... Why did I hide it here? You forget Amontillado is the rarest wine in all of Italy, Fortunato. <laughs> yes, you're wise, Montreal. Now, Fortunato, herein lies the Amontillado. As for Ducati... He's a fool. Amontillado. The whole cast of Amontillado. Yes, go in. Get to the Amontillado, Fortunato. <laughs> the Amontillado. <laughs> this rock is in the way. Put your hands up high and push, Fortunato. No, higher. You should have seen the look of terror on his round face. He could barely move. The crypt was just the right size for him. Just the right size for him to die in. Then I began to work. I began walling up the entrance to the niche in which Fortunato was chained. Montfaisa, what are you doing? Even a dolt can understand what I'm doing, Fortunato. Even a dolt such as Montfaisa. Please, Montfaisa, don't wall me up in here. I, I, I didn't mean the things I said. finished with the first tier of masonry when I discovered that the effect of the wine had worn off Fortunato. He began shaking his chains in an effort to throw them off. I'll get loose, my traitor. I'll throw these chains off and I'll kill you. Do you know good to shake those chains? They're strong, Fortunato. I made sure of that. My traitor. Look, I'll give you anything you want. Rosita, money a thousand lira. Anything at all. Anything. No, Fortunato, I find this payment enough. Montreal, please. Please have pity on me. Pity, Fortunato, you ask for pity. I have no pity for you. His head was twisted over his shoulder, watching me as I piled brick upon brick. With each stone I put into position, his eyes took on a look of increasing terror and torture. He made little sounds in his throat. I continued my work. I had finished playing the seventh tier of rocks before I paused to rest. The wall was almost upon a level with my chest. Help me, someone! Help me! What makes you sad? What makes you trying to kill me? Help me! Anyone at all? You may shout all your wish. No one can hear you. Someone will know that you took me.
Saul, it's what they'll find me even if I'm dead. And you'll be punished. Few people know of these catacombs, Fortunato. And those who do are my friends. <laughs> yes. This is a very good joke indeed, Montrezor. Who would have thought that you had such a sense of humor? But uh, don't you think your little joke has gone uh, far enough? <laughs> we will have many laugh over it as we drink our wine, eh? <laughs> I will have many laugh over it, Fortunato. I don't think you'll be able to laugh. Montresor. Montresor, you can't be in earnest. So much in earnest that you'll die for it, Fortunato. Please, Montresor. Please, please, began to scream. But then, after a while, he was silent. His eyes watched every move I made. With a great deal of effort, I raised the last stone and shoved it into position. I waited for a few minutes and then called to him. Fortunato... Dear me, where is Fortunato? I look about me. So dark down here. So depressive. So cold and damp. I must remember to stay away from here. I might catch Fortunato's cold. So runs tonight's tale of the unusual, the terrifying, the unknown. Join us again when next we journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. To hear another strange tale of the supernatural. All characters and events portrayed in these programs are fictional. And any similarity to actual events or persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. Everybody, I hope you liked that one. Next, I've got um, X minus one, and um, you know, most of the time I'm not a science fiction fan, but on X minus one, I love it. <laughs> and uh, if you do too, I'll get more X minus one. Um, you know, let us know if you like this one. Like I said, comments, requests, anything you want. Um, I'll do my best to get it, but I love X minus one, and I hope you guys will too. It's called the Haunted Corpse. Mm-hmm. 
countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company presents X minus Corpse by Frederick Pohl. It was 2,200 hours when my task force of 135 picked men and a wax stenographer, all fully equipped for any emergency, surrounded the big house. Just as I stepped out of my jeep, the old boy himself came storming out of the house with fire in his eye. While he was still ranting and raving, I gave him a soft salute and waited for him to finish. Go on, get the whole bunch of you. This is private property and you're trespassing. I won't have it, you hear? Now go on, get out. I'm Colonel Windermere, sir. My orders are to establish a security cordon around your laboratories. Here you are, Dr. Horn. Your copy of the orders. You can take those orders. Say, say, who put you up to this? I know, Van Pelt. Why, that rotten, overstuffed, backstabbing monster of a... Dr. Horn. Oh, I know, Van Pelt. Uh, I ought to. He worked as my associate for years. But that doesn't give him the right to turn traitor and go running off to the Pentagon with a story about the Horn effect. Excuse me, Dr. Horn. The general asked me to give you his personal assurance that my men will not in any way interfere with your work here. It's just a matter of security. Security? Now, listen here, Lieutenant. I won't tolerate Excuse me, sir. What? It's Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel Windermere. Colonel, General, Lieutenant, what do I care what fool title you stick on your name? The Horn effect is my personal property. Not yours, not Van Pelt's, not the Pentagon. Not anybody's, but mine. You and your whole army can go plumb to the devil. Good day. I watched the old man. He must have been all of 85. Go stalking back into the house. During the night, a wire stringing detail surrounded the whole place with three-strand electrified barbed wire with guard towers every 50 yards. I inspected the whole establishment before breakfast the next morning. And then, satisfied that everything was in order, I ate breakfast in my tent. I was interrupted by the appearance of Van Pelt, the fat and chubby scientist who had sent the original report to Washington. Uh, what did he say? How did he take it, Colonel? I mean, is he sore? Sore as a boil, Doctor. Oh. Well, you're here, so I guess he won't try anything. Uh... By the way, uh, I didn't get a chance to have breakfast in town, and uh, I wonder... Oh, of course. Uh, have some bacon and egg. <laughs> Thank you very much. It looks delicious. <laughs> I watched him gobble up the rest of my breakfast. 
I was beginning to understand why Van Pelt and Horn didn't get along very well. Why Van Pelt finally went running to the Pentagon with his report. Of course, it was my job to keep an open mind, but I couldn't help thinking how I'd feel if my exec, Captain Lefferts, went over my head in that way. No, I couldn't blame Dr. Horn for being angry. At 1400, I went to see the doctor again. I brought along Corporal McCabe, my wax stenographer. Well, what do you two want? Good afternoon, Dr. Horn. I'm here to get your daily progress report. Daily? You want to report every day? Yes, sir. Refer to paragraph 8 of my orders. Uh, Corporal McCabe here is an expert stenographer. She'll take down your dictation. Dictation? No, no, I won't do it. I absolutely will not do it. You'll have to do it, sir. Why, orders. why, you and your, your stinking little two-bit army. I, I ought to... Oh. <laughs> Progress report, you say? Yes, sir. You're going to stick to what you say? I must, sir. Well, I suppose I must reconcile myself to the situation. Now, exactly uh, what is it that you want, Lieutenant? The report, sir, and uh, it's Colonel, not Lieutenant. Just so, just so. The report, eh? all about my work, is that it? You may speak freely, Doctor. Corporal McCabe has full security clearance. Well, that must make her very happy. Ah, uh, yes, the report. Just so. Just so. You're listening to The Haunted Corpse on X-1. Have you ever read the want ads? Well, say one morning you pick up your hometown paper and spot an ad which reads, Wanted, for important position with fast-growing concern. Native-born American citizen, male or female, at least 35 years of age, must be able to give proof of 14-year residence in the United States. Position of four-year duration with possible renewal. Room and board furnished. Yearly salary, $100,000 with an additional $40,000 for travel and official entertainment, plus $50,000 for operating expenses. Summer residence furnished with paid vacation. Qualifications of applicant carefully checked before position assigned. Now, an ad sounds mighty attractive, doesn't it? But the job it describes isn't a soft one by any means. As a matter of fact, it's probably the toughest job in America, that of being president of the United States. And the first job of each president is to take an oath that he will faithfully execute the office to which he's been named and will, to the best of his ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Yes, the job of being president is a mighty important one, but preserving and protecting the Constitution is even more important because the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. The president may veto a bill, but if Congress, by a two-thirds majority, passes the bill over his veto, it becomes a law under the Constitution, unless set aside by judicial judgment. Thus, the best interests of the people are protected. That's how your American Constitution works. Back to X-1 and The Haunted Corpse. I wasn't deceived by Dr. Horn's sudden willingness to cooperate. He was probably trying to win my confidence so they could find a way to phone his congressman and make trouble for the whole operation. 
But I merely nodded to Corporal McCabe, who opened her notebook and got ready to take the dictation. Very well. This machine you see here is my polycloid quasitron. Now, to understand its operation, let me explain... Oh, sir, it. excuse me, that term... Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Dr. Horn, would you kindly spell poly... Uh, <clears throat> those two words, the corporal? Just so, just so. P-O-L-Y-C-L-O-I-D... Q-U-A-S-I-T-R-O-N. Thank you, sir. Just so. Well, now, the various... It was rough going for about an hour. The doctor had to pause every 50 seconds to spell a word for McCabe, who was looking more and more ill at ease. But there was one virtue to this slow pace. I was able to follow it all fairly well. And when the doctor finally stopped, I was ready to sum it up for him. I hope, Lieutenant, that I've made myself clear. Uh, yes, sir. In other words, you've perfected a method of electronically killing a man without touching him. What? Electronically killing a man without touching him? Yes, sir. <laughs> just so, Lieutenant, just so. Will you tell me one thing? What in the sweet name of heaven did I say that gave you that particularly stupid notion? Well, sir, that's what you said. It is also what my briefing from General Follinsby at the Pentagon gave me to understand. Oh, rubbish. Oh, I see what you mean. Just so, just so. I confess I wondered why you're here in the first place. The government feels that this is a weapon. Of course, sir. Oh, well, now we understand each other. My machine renders humans into corpses. So does a chip flint, for that matter. Yeah, but never mind. That is the aspect which interests you. Yeah. Very good. But mark this, Lieutenant, my Quasitron does something no chip flint can do. It removes from the human body that thing which possesses only a negative definition, the quantity that we will term X, which, added to the body, produces a man, subtracted, leaves a corpse. <laughs> oh, but you don't care about all that, do you? Sir, I uh, <clears throat> don't follow you. No, you're down right, you don't. We're all corpses, don't you see? Corpses inhabited by ghosts. And there's only one man in the world who can separate the two without destroying them. And that is me. And there's only one way to do it, and that's with the Quasitron. Good day, Lieutenant. Corporal McCabe and I left hurriedly. I was ready now to make my situation analysis according to orders. But I decided to check one fact. I summoned Van Pelt to my tent that night. No, no, Colonel Windermere. He's perfectly sane. Perfectly. But he is also dangerous. Particularly dangerous to me. Uh, I mean, of course, if I hadn't the Army's promise of complete protection. <laughs> uh, Colonel, uh... <coughs> That bowl of fruit uh, looks tempting. I wonder if I... Oh, uh, help yourself, Dr. Pelt. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. Tasty. Very tasty. Uh, Dr. Van Pelt, I must have the straight dope on horn. What's this ghost business? My goodness, Colonel, that's just the old man's way of putting it. Forget the term ghost. It really distresses you. Now, whatever you want to call this thing in the body, life, intelligence, or whatnot... This is what his machine works on. If he wishes, he can replace this quantity or remove it from body to body. You might call the operation a transference. A transference of the personality. Yes, that would describe it. Mm -hmm. 
got rid of Van Pelt fast after that. Now I had something really exciting to look into. This old man had a machine that could take a person out of his body and put him into another one if he liked. Next morning, I demanded a demonstration, and Dr. Horn showed me how he could change a hen and a cocker spaniel with a quasitron. It was weird, but impressive and convincing. Well, Lieutenant, do you believe in my machine now? Remarkable. But uh, can it work with people? Well, indeed it can, but these ridiculous laws governing the conduct of institutions. Heaven knows I've tried to get permission for an experiment. A man dying of cancer, for instance, to exchange with a feeble-minded youth. Why not? Put the sound mind in the sound body and let the other die. But no, no, they won't have it. I see. Then it actually has never been done. No, but... Uh, now you're here, Lieutenant. A military man, very brave. It's just so, just so. All I've ever needed was a volunteer. Now, Van Pelt refused, the coward... So is everyone else, but now you... Negative, sir, negative. I am not a lieutenant, doctor. I am a field-grade officer. Hmm. But if there is a need for volunteers, I can find them for you, sir. You can? You really can? Yes, sir. I can think of several likely prospects. Uh, give me until tomorrow. Just so, just so, you said. Uh, Major, I mean... Uh, no, uh, Captain, then. Uh, tomorrow will do splendidly. immediate job was to get the volunteers. I would require two. The first was easy. A private in Able Company. I sent for him and he appeared looking apprehensive. Sir, the, the colonel sent for me? I did. You're the latrine orderly of Able Company? Yes, sir, I am, sir. Now, there's a report on you. A-W-O-L. That means a court-martial. You're aware of the possible consequences? Yes, sir, I am, sir. There is a possibility that these charges might be dropped. It depends upon our finding a volunteer for a special job. Is that all, sir? Oh, I volunteer, Colonel. When do I start, sir? That was one. The second was a bit more of a problem. I thought at once of my executive officer, Captain Lefferts, a fine officer typical of the best leadership type. He had just been married, and he had no desire to be transferred to Saudi Arabia. Let me get this straight, Colonel. Are you saying that if I volunteer for this assignment, there's a possibility my orders might be changed? Captain, I hold your transfer orders in my hand. If you decide to volunteer, I will destroy them. Sir, I volunteer. <laughs> So it was done. The next morning, both men were strapped into Horn's infernal machine. There was a great crackling and sparking. Yeah, it's done. Uh, may I speak to my men? Go right ahead, Lieutenant. Uh, the orderly first. You, name, rank, and serial number. Sir? Uh, Lefferts, Robert T., Captain AUS, serial number 0333-39615. Oh, sir, about that transfer to Saudi Arabia. No, that'll do. I... Good heavens. Uh, and uh, now you. Colonel, sir, I changed my mind. If I can't go back to Latrine Orderly, I'll take the guardhouse, sir. It worked. Um, uh, at ease, men. 
You really did it, Dr. Horn. Just so, Lieutenant, just so. I really did. Horn switched the two men back again while I rushed for the telephone. Crash priority, the Pentagon, General Follinsby, priority and classified. Ask the general to stand by for scrambler. This was far more than a weapon. We had the world by the tail. I got through to the general, and I was excited as I pointed out the implications of the device. Suppose a hostile representative visited this country, I told him. One of our men could switch places with him, and no one would ever guess. In time, we could have our men in the top positions of every government in the world. Our men reporting to us. It was the greatest opportunity any government ever had. The general was impressed in spite of himself. We arranged an appointment in the Pentagon for the next morning. As I hung up, I fingered the silver leaf on my shoulder. It would soon be a star. Colonel! Colonel! Uh, what is it, O'Hare? Yes, sir, I don't know how to put this. I'm afraid Dr. Van Pelt has gone psycho, sir. Why, Sergeant? What's he done? He's raving, sir. He says Dr. Horn wants to live forever. He says all Horn was waiting for was to make a test on a human being. He says now you've given Horn his test, Horn is going to grab the first human being he can find and... Excuse me, sir, this is what he said... And steal his body. Great Scott. Where's Van Pelt now? In the laboratory, sir, with Dr. Horn. Gee, is, is everybody around here nuts? I saw it all in a flash. Dr. Horn had a brilliant mind, but a worn-out body. He was going to make a switch before his own aging machinery broke down. I had to stop him. Van Pelt was there literally asking for it. When I opened the door of the lab, I stumbled over Horn's body, dead. He'd already done it. Next to his body sprawled my whack, Corporal McCabe, stunned by a blow on the head as she tried to prevent the tragedy. And there at the machine was Van Pelt, or what used to be Van Pelt, striking the complicated machinery with one blow after another. Too late, Colonel! Too late! Don't, don't destroy the machine! Stop! It's too late, I tell you! Too late! Not that I know who you are! You're not Van Pelt! You're Horn! Get away from that machine! No! Not that it's destroyed! Destroyed! You killed him. You fool, you unutterable ass. Wing him, yes. Yeah. Stop him from smashing the machine, yes. But why did you have to shoot to kill? It seemed the best way. <sighs> You've ruined everything now. Horn's dead and so is Van Pelt. The machine is wrecked beyond repair. Sorry, Corporal, but I'm putting you under arrest. Give me that gun. I'm afraid not. You're fundamentally a nice guy, so I'm just going to lock you in here long enough to get away, Lieutenant. Lieutenant? Huh? Horn! You're Dr. Horn! Just so, Lieutenant. Just so. Goodbye. X-Minus One has brought you The Haunted Corpse, a story written by Frederick Pohl and adapted for radio by William Welch. Featured in our cast were Edgar Staley as Dr. Horn, Walter Black as the Colonel, and Dean Lyman Omquist as Van Pelt. Others in our cast were Lydia Bruce, Alan Collins, Bob Hastings, and Ralph Camargo. This is Fred Collins speaking. 
X-1 was directed by George Boutsas and is an NBC Radio Network production. We pause now for station identification. Okay, y'all. <laughs> this next one is CBS Radio Mystery Theater. It's from 1975, and um, I love CBS Radio Mystery Theater, and I know that many of you guys do too, so let me know if you like this one, and I can get more. And this one is called The Many Names of Death. And now, Mystery Theater. says, let us fill the cup. What are you having? How about equal parts suspense and mystery with just a dash of terror and kill to taste? So, they say that a lie is only the truth in masquerade. But does the opposite also hold? Can we say that the truth is a lie in masquerade? What is masquerade? Well, for that matter, what is reality? Who are we? Who do we really see when we look in the mirror? The image that gazes steadily back at us, that anticipates our every move, our every breath. Who is it? Or what is it? Darling. Hello, dear. Dinner ready? No. Oh, you plan for us to dine out? No, Gerald. Why isn't dinner ready, then? I haven't had a chance to prepare it. I was busy. Doing what, Cecily? Oh, learning how to load. What are you doing with that pistol? Learning how to aim. Cecily, don't point that at me. And learning how to fire. Uh, uh, why, Cecily? What? mystery drama, The Many Names of Death, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Sam Dan and stars Alexander Scorby. You know how it is with some people. They go along for years in a groove, a routine, or a rut. Characterize it any way you like. 10, 20 years, the same job, the same apartment, same wife. It might just occur to a man to ask himself, is this all I have to look forward to? There are those men who ask this question and keep asking it. But these are the men who rarely do anything about it. It's the men who don't ask, who seemingly plod along contentedly and quietly. Oh, yes, look out. Look out for Gerald Furlong, who fills all the specifications we have just stated. 
Mr. Furlong. Yes? Good morning. My name is Helene LaRue. Yes? I'm your new secretary. Oh. Mr. Spruance, you know him, the personnel manager? Yes. Well, when I heard that old lady McKay... Oh, I beg your pardon. Miss McKay was leaving. I asked for the job. And he said I could have it unless you had someone else in mind. Well, I... Uh... Actually, I'm the best typist in the pool. Are you? Oh, yes. You can check it. Everybody always asks for me. Yes, but I don't... Of uh... course you don't know. How could you? Unless we try it. What have you got to lose? Well... Then it's settled. Now, all you have to do is sign this memo. What memo? The memo to Mr. Spruance, which says you authorize my appointment as your secretary. Yes, but I... Uh... Well, now, I don't want you to think I'm pushing you or taking too much on myself. But a good secretary handles all the details, ties up all the loose ends, keeps the desk clear. And as soon as you sign that, I can call Mr. Spruance's secretary. All right. Ah, that's it. Yes, sir. Oh, Mr. Furlong, you do have a bold, strong handwriting. Unusual, sir, but that's to be expected. Expected? Oh, yes. You see, your name is Gerald. Yes. And do you know what the name Gerald means? No. Well, it's an old German name. It means strong leader of an army. Hello? Hello, this is Elaine LaRue. Tell Mr. Spruance that Mr. Furlong wants me to be his secretary. The memo's on its way. Thank you. Well, strong leader of an army. Uh, don't you feel like one? I'm afraid I don't live up to my name. Oh, you just think you don't. My dear young lady, I know I don't. Don't call me that. Your dear young lady. Why, does it offend you? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, when you call me your dear young lady, you're putting yourself down. I'm afraid I don't understand. You make yourself sound like an old man. Oh. Uh, and you're not. You see, I worked in personnel. I had to check everyone's records. Now, Miss Lou, those records are highly confidential and they're... Alan, you're only 45. It's true that you look 55. No. Now, Miss LaRue... One thing I frown upon in this office is the discussion of personal matters. Of course, of course. If you went about things differently, uh, you would look 35. Miss LaRue, I have some letters to dictate. Yes, sir. This is to, uh, to Mr. Oliver Stevens at Carpenter and Stevens. Uh, you'll find the address in the files. Dear sir, pursuant to... Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, read that back, huh? All you said was, uh, dear sir, pursuant to... Oh, yes, yes. Uh, pursuant to our agreement, I must inquire of you, uh... Uh, Miss LaRue. Yes? You know, you've gotten off here on the wrong foot. But, Mr. Furlong... I dislike flattery. I intensely dislike it. I despise it. But... Uh, please do not interrupt me. I am not a fool. Oh, I never said you were. Your flattery is doubly obnoxious because it's it, it's so, so... So what, Mr. Furlong? Because it's so extravagant, so obvious. Oh, but I wasn't... Yes, I, I might tolerate flattery that's, that's clever. But you, my dear young lady, are ludicrous. There you go again. 
calling me your dear young lady. I'll call you anything I like. I'm your employer. Well, why am I ludicrous? How can you tell me that I could look like a man of 35? Because it's true. Do you know what 35 is? I know what it looks like. 35? That, that, that's another world, another, another generation. I know. Tell me that I could look 35 again is... is well, it's an insult to my intelligence. I could make you look 35. What did you say? Well, you'd have to dress differently, wear colors, let your hair grow long. Miss LaRue, this conversation has become far too well, personal. Well, we can end it any time you say. Uh. <clears throat> now, pursuant to our agreement, I must inquire of you if you feel obligated to provide financing for... Yes, Mr. Furlong. At the risk of sounding foolish, why did you say I could look 35? I learned something about you, Mr. Furlong. How could you learn anything about me in so short a time? Well, I learned that you're a man who fights against his name. I haven't the faintest idea of what that means. Your name, Gerald, strong leader of men. Oh. Oh, why do you fight it? Why do you deny it? It's what you were meant to be. Really? It's true. Who says so? I do. And how would you know? Because I believe in nominality. <laughs> oh, it's the science of names. I believe that our names tell us what we are. I think that's ridiculous. Do you? Well, I think birth itself is a mysterious happening. And the parents unconsciously have an insight into what their child could be, and they name him accordingly. They might not even be aware of it. Gerald. Well, I'm certainly not a strong leader of men. But you could be. You have it in you. It's ridiculous. Oh, you said that before. I'll say it again. Why is it any more ridiculous than any other belief? Why is it any more ridiculous than, say... Astrology. Tell me, uh, what does Helene mean? Light. Hmm? A torch from the Greek. Light? Yes, light. Have I brought you any? How's the fish, dear? Oh, a bit bland. Bland? Huh? That's odd. It's been prepared exactly as usual, and you never complained before. Well, it just happens to lack taste. But you have to watch your intake of salt. Why? Why? Well, it's just the prudent thing, isn't it? That's what you always say. Yes, I suppose so. Did they replace Miss McKay? Yes. I hope they gave you a mature woman. You can't stand those flighty young girls. What's your new one like? Well, I really haven't noticed yet. Oh? How is that possible? Oh, look, Cecily, my dear, I have so much to do, I simply can't bother to note those things that have nothing to do with business. You are overworked, dear, that's true. I'm aware that I have a secretary, that I dictate letters to her, that she has a name, in this case. Uh, what she looks like? Well, I, I simply couldn't remember. Poor dear. Cecily, tell me something. How old do I look to you? 
Why? Oh, just curious. I hadn't thought about it. Well, you don't have to think about it. Just tell me. Well, darling, you look your age. Do I? If anything, a bit older. Really? And that's been responsible for your success. A man who heads up a trust department who's responsible for other people's money can only inspire confidence if he looks mature and... And, uh, settled, huh? Oh, yes, dear, and you certainly do. Is it possible that... Is it possible that anyone could ever take me for, say, 35? <laughs> 35? Oh, darling, I... I don't see how. Why do you ask? Oh, no reason. Are you sure? No, no, please, forget it. I simply can't imagine why you'd even ask such a strange question. Especially... Especially what? Especially since you're not in the habit of asking idle questions. Coffee? No, no, darling. If you'll excuse me, I'll go to the library. I have some work. Oh, Gerald, this, this goes against everything you ever... Well, you made it almost a religion not to bring work home from the office. Yes, dear, I know, but every religion encounters a bit of heresy now and then. Don't stay up too late. No, dear, I just have a few things to check out. Hello? Miss uh, LaRue? Oh, good evening, Mr. Furlong. Good evening. I was waiting for your call. What do you mean you were waiting for my call? Well, then I was right. You did call, didn't you? Well, yes. However, my secretary has to expect to work all hours, and if you object, then perhaps you'd better resign. Oh, I don't mind. I don't mind at all. You have such a fascinating voice. Now, see here, Miss LaRue, this is a business call. Of course it is. Look, I had so many things to do today that I, I can't recall if I sent a letter to Mr. Oliver Stevens. Ah, uh, Mr. Oliver Stevens of Comfter and Stevens. That's right. Because if I forget to write one... Well, you did, uh, Mr. Furlong. You dictated it, and I typed it and mailed it. Good. That is a relief. Otherwise, I'd have to call him this evening and explain that he shouldn't expect to... No, the letter went out. Well, that's... Well, that's what I, I wanted to know. Is there anything else? No, I, I can't think of anything. Oh, then, good night, sir. Good night. Uh, oh, uh, just another minute. C could you tell me what... what what the name Cecily means? Cecily? Mm hmm Oh, yes, sir. That's um, a Latin name. It means one who is in the dark or blind. <laughs> Did I wake you? I'm sorry. Oh, working at night's the worst thing in the world for your nervous system. Esther, I'll just brush my teeth and get right to bed. Who are you? 
me, isn't it? No. That's me. I can't believe this. I'm you one. What? Drunk? You never drink. Mad? You're the safest man in the city. I'm seeing things. Why? What's happening to me? That's it, Jerry. What is happening? I've gone mad. You will be. Soon, Jerry. Unless you fire that girl. Which girl? Oh, don't play games with me. I've looked at your face for the last 45 years. You have no secrets from me. Why should I fire her? You know why. Don't know what you're talking about. If you don't get rid of her, you're headed for ruin, disgrace, death. How can you say that? It's true. You know it's true. Don't you, Gerald? Deep down, way down. Don't you know where it must end? How it must end? Yes. Use your common sense and fire her. First thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, I'll fire her. You look in the mirror, and a perfect stranger starts to talk to you. He wears your face, but you know he isn't you. He knows every thought in your head, and every emotion in your heart. But you know he isn't you. Who is he? We shall acquire some new insights when I return shortly with Act Two. If... There's a face that looks back at our own each time we gaze into a mirror. But is it always the same face? The quick answer, the automatic answer is yes, certainly, of course. This teaches that we should never answer anything without pausing for thought. We might get the same surprise that happened to Gerald Furlong. It was the same face, but it wasn't his. Good morning, Mr. Furlong. Good morning, Mr. LaRue. Come into my office, please. Yes, sir. Now, Miss LaRue, I have something to tell you. Oh, I know. You want to fire me. Well, I've been thinking. A, a man and his secretary, they, they spend considerable time together, and therefore they should have similar temperaments. Mm, and you're too busy thinking to have fun. Obviously, we don't have a similar temperament, Miss LaRue. Very well. I'll go back to the pool, and you can get yourself another dried-up old maid to match the one you've got at home. Now, see here. Yes, what is it you want me to see? How, how did you know... How did you know I was going to fire you? Well, you keep fighting your name. You're not a Gerald. Look, what are you fighting? You know, you never had a good time in your life. Why should you care? Because I'm in love with you. That's impossible. We don't know each other. We, we, we have nothing in common. Oh, that's all nonsense. You fall in love... Because you hear a certain tone in somebody's voice. You see a certain light in someone's eye. But how can such a love be lasting? Oh, who says love has to last? You know, love comes and goes. Love is. And then one day, it just isn't. And it's gone. And nobody knows why. And it doesn't matter because sooner or later, it will come again with someone else. 
You're a strange girl. Oh, we're all strange. We look, look. We we can't talk here. I, I'll take you take you out to lunch. No, 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 no lunch. Why not? Because you must lose weight. I'll take you shopping. <laughs> I like that jacket and with the aqua shirt. Oh, but I only wear white shirts. Oh, that's all in the past, darling. Now look at yourself in the mirror. No, no. No? Absolutely not. But how can you tell it? I just don't want to. I insist now. Come on. Look in the mirror. Have you ever seen anything so... Well, it's... It's a work of art. No. Gerald, this face, this face you see, it isn't my face anymore. Gerald, don't. Don't kill me. I'm not killing you. What are you saying, darling? Darling. Already? Look, darling, I... You can't do away with me, Gerald. We've been together too long. We've built up our whole world together. You just can't get rid of me and get another image. Well, what do you think, darling? Fire her, you fool. Get rid of her. Walk out of here before it's too late. Save yourself. I think... What's there to think about? He'll take it. And now, for some sportswear. Good morning, darling. Bacon is ready. Will you have two eggs? We have cereal. Uh, Just a cup of coffee. But you must have breakfast. No, no, I'm fine. Just coffee. Darling, where did you get that suit? Oh, uh, I did some shopping last week. You like it? Well, it it looks a bit... uh, Yes? Young for you. Young? And that shirt and the tie. Those colors are quite violent. Violent? It's hardly the image for a trust officer. And besides, dear, middle-aged men who strive for a juvenile look only succeed in making themselves appear ludicrous. Which is how I appear to you. No, no, I didn't mean that. I only... Oh, look, look, we shouldn't quarrel, especially today. I I have to go to Chicago. Oh? Just for a few days. We have to investigate a financial... But you'll never travel, dear. I can't refuse this client. No, I suppose not. I'll cut the trip as short as I possibly can. Yes, dear. I must say, it's convenient to the office. Well, the rent was higher than you said you could go, but... It's all right. Come here. Mm. Oh. I must say, you learn fast. <laughs> I didn't have to learn. I always knew it. It was just out of practice, that's all. Let me show you what I bought me this afternoon. Look, I hope your account isn't overdrawn oh, again. Oh, it was a steal. My first mink cake. Oh. Was it necessary? No, that's not my Gerald. The king of the army. It's the old trust officer speaking. Oh, I just asked. Don't you want me to keep warm? Of course. That's better. What would you like to do tonight? Oh, what are we supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be taking a client to a long and involved business dinner. Oh, well then let's go to the High Hat Club. Hmm? I think I heard of that place. What'd you hear? I don't think it's the kind of establishment I should be seen at. And what are we waiting for? Not 
turn again. I'll bet. Marty! Hi. Hi. Gerald, this is Marty Trainer. He owns the place. Gerald Furlong. How do you do? Wow, Furlong, huh? That's uh, the name for a horse player. Oh, he doesn't have to play with the horses, Marty. He's too skillful with the time. I'm afraid it's beginner's luck. <laughs> when you're hot, you're hot. You're on a streak rider. I will. Bet it all. Hey! You won, darling. You won. Let, you won. Let it ride. Getting late. Yes, I know. You should be getting home. Oh, I wish I didn't have to go. So do I. You know the right thing to do? Mm. I should divorce Cecily and we ought to get married. Why should we get married? Because we're in love. <laughs> oh, weren't you in love with Cecily once? Well... Yes. Ah, and that's why you married her, but it didn't help. It didn't keep your love alive. You and I will be different. No, we won't. We may love each other till the day we die, and we may fall out of love tomorrow morning. But I want us to keep our love. Oh, love can't be a guaranteed investment. Isn't the here and now? better take a pill or see a doctor. Why? I'm the one who's sick. You're killing me. No, no. Don't turn your face away. Look in the mirror. Look at me. I'm looking. Don't you see how I've changed? You... I... I look, we've never looked so good. Soon, you'll have a new image. And what becomes of me? I'll be dead. Frankly, I couldn't care less. But I'm the only image you're comfortable with. I'm the only image you can live with. I used to think so. I'm learning different. You're a fool. Get rid of her. Oh, no. She'll get tired of you sooner or later. And then what would you have? Elaine's what I've always wanted. I never had the nerve to let myself believe it. You can't afford her. Who says so? The apartment, the clothes, the gifts, the jewels. And now the gambling. Who knows more about gambling than I do? Haven't I gambled with investments all my life? <sighs> Except this time I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying life. It can turn all at once. It can sweep you away swiftly, suddenly, like a tidal wave. Gerald, get rid of her. You'll never know what hits you. No. She'll kill both of us. I don't care. I don't care. Gerald. What do you want? I thought I heard you talking to someone. You what? I heard you talking to someone. Oh, come on. That's ridiculous. I thought so, too, at first. But lately it seems... Well, you seem to be having angry conversations. Indeed. About what? I don't know, but I'm sure I hear voices. You sure you're all right, dear? Is something wrong? No. That no sounds like yes. Oh, I suppose I'm a little bit lonesome these days. I see so little of you. Look, darling, things are becoming impossible at the office. You know, the way the market is behaving. I know, I know. There are terrible pressures on you. Why don't you quit? Quit? Yes, dear, quit. Find something else. It isn't easy to get a new job at 45. But you don't look 45. You look at least 10 years younger. Well, how would we make out while I was looking around? 
Well, you've been very judicious with our money. We should have quite a bit put by. Cecily, we don't have. In the present market, our holdings have... Well, they haven't done well. They've lost. They've lost considerable value. Oh. It's my fault. I'm sorry. Well, there's my inheritance. Oh, no, no, no. No, we couldn't... It's $50,000. No, 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 no. We, we must never touch it that. It could help ease us along. Cecily. Oh, Cecily. You, you're too good to me. Don't say that. I love you. Let's start life all over. Is it something to think about? Yes, it, it is something to think about. Going. The usual place. Uh. What does that mean? Oh, you just said the usual place, which means our lives are becoming predictable. Well, don't you enjoy it there? Tonight, I'd like to go dancing. Play of dancing? Marty hires the best band in town. How would you know? You never danced to well, it. If you want to dance tonight, that's what we'll do. Let's go somewhere else. Why? Because if we go to Marty's, you'll get involved in a card game. No, I won't. I, I promise you. Oh, you make that promise every night, and you break that promise every night. Well, tonight will be different. You'll see. Gerald, I want to go home. Darling, we, we, we can't go just yet. I see no reason why we can't do anything we please any time we want to do it. I've lost too much money. So what? It's only money. I can't quit now. Oh, this place is becoming a bore. I can't afford to. And you're becoming a bore, too. Don't say that. Uh, but I love you. Do you understand? Well, I love you, too. Just another half hour. Uh, Mr. Furlong. Yes, Marty. Do we again? No, Gerald, no. Don't play with him, please. You can't beat him. What are you talking about? The cards are going to come my way. I can feel it. You can't beat him. His name is Martin. What? After Mars, the god of war. He's a child of Mars. Gerald, let's leave now. Sure, sure. Look, all I need is just one good pot. Gerald, don't play with him. All right, you go get your coat and meet me here. Oh. Well, Mr. Furlong... Just you and I left, huh? So, no fight for the pot. I believe you were the opener. 500. Oh, a very good bet. I think I'll raise. Make it a thousand. And a thousand better. A man with confidence. However, another thousand. A thousand to you again, Marty. Well, I must respect that. I call. You should. I have a full house. An excellent hand. Good enough to win most of the time, but not good enough this time. What are you... I have four little deuces. Oh. So, let's see. In the pot where your overall bets are $5,500 and added to your previous indebtedness, we have uh, <clears throat> a total of 35000 What? That's impossible. I have your markers here, Mr. Furlong. Care to check the arithmetic? Well, no, I... Look, I, I don't carry $35,000 around with me in cash. Who does? We can wait. Till tomorrow. Gerald? Are we ready to go? Gerald? Yes. Yes, Elaine. We're ready to go. He says he's ready to go. But the question is, where? 
where do you go when you've just lost $35,000 that you don't have? Where do you go? And what do you do? Well, this could be as good a time as any for Gerald to find out if he can live up to his name. Strong leader of men. We'll know everything when I return shortly with Act Three. It's not the first time, it won't be the last time, a man will seek to change his image. But is an image like a shoe, a coat, a tie, something a man may take off and cast aside? Can an image refuse to be changed? Can it fight back? It's very late at night, after a disastrous evening, and Gerald Furlong is once again confronting an image in the mirror. The image he seeks to change. And until recently, it was such a quiet, unobtrusive, submissive image. Now will you leave Helene? No. She's ruined you. I can't blame her. Tell Cecily. Confess. Why? Where else can you get the money? The money? The $35,000 you gambled away. I'll... You what? You counted on Cecily's money. You knew it was there. That's why you gambled. That's a lie. Ah, You're talking to me. I can raise it. Where? How? She. She loves me. She'll let me have it. That's what I've been telling you. Confess to Cecily. Confess everything. Not Cecily. Helene. Helene, I'm, I'm in over my head. Please help me. Of course. I knew you would. That's what love is. Now... Your necklace, your bracelet, and the furs. Uh, you want me to sell them? We can raise quite a bit of money. Maybe not all of it, but enough to, to give me breathing room. I see. I'll, I'll make it up to you later. Darling, I won't do it. But you... We're... We're in love. Yes? You said you'd help me. Help you in the right way. The way you should be helped. What do you mean? The way a man named Gerald should be held. I don't understand. Gerald, strong leader of the army. Are you going to bow down before the demands of a cheap gambler? I, I lost the money. Well, how do you know you lost it, honestly? How do you know the cards weren't fixed? I don't. Well, stand up to him. Refuse to pay him. What? But, but he'll... He'll what? Gambling's against the law here. His club is illegal. He has no claims on you. He can't go to court about it. Yes, but still... Still? Are you going to hold still? Be Gerald. This is how I love you. This is how I help you. Yes. Yes, he has no legal claim. You're right. Right, Mr. Furlong. Absolutely right. I have no legal recourse. Then I shall say good day to you, sir. But I have other alternatives. Yes, I can imagine. Huh. Can you? I can imagine that you'll try to frighten me with your uh, underworld connections. <laughs> underworld connections? You've seen too many movies. You think you can scare me with strong-arm tactics? I'm not afraid of you. Why should you be? Or anyone else. I've been in a war. I know how to use a weapon. I have one in my house. I can defend myself, and I will. Now, you are a trust officer for an important brokerage house, Oh, huh? I see. Blackmail. <laughs> I'm not afraid. I'll deny I was ever in here. 
You can't. You see, we have proof. <laughs> what do you mean by proof? Well, now, when I press this button, that white screen comes down from the ceiling. And another button. And we have a projector. And now we have a motion picture, and look who the hero is. Oh, why, it's you. I don't believe it. Ah, Mr. Furlong, isn't it true? One picture is worth a thousand words. How well you... You photograph. I mean, there you are, betting, raking in the money. Oh, you are a gambler, sir. That's obvious. How you relish what you're doing, huh? Well, have you seen enough? What will you do with it? Show it to my... My, my management people? Oh, yes. Well, it won't do you any good. They'll fire me. That won't get you your money. Oh, yes, it will. What do you mean? They're not responsible now, for Now, listen, what I... we exhibit this little documentary. We tell your management, unless they make good on your debt, we will show the picture to their clients. We will say to them, here. Here is how a man who handles your money amuses himself in his spare time. Is he doing this with your money? I think your management will pay us off, don't you? You violence? Who needs violence when this kind of persuasion is so much more, uh, persuasive? I need time. Of course. Take a few days, take a week, even more, and think about it. I'm sure something will occur to you. Elaine? Elaine? It's empty. What happened? She's gone. She's disappeared and she took everything. What's this? Darling, love comes, love goes. And for us, it's over. Think about me as I shall think about you. And remember always, remember your name is Gerald, strong leader of a host. She's gone. She's gone. Of course she's gone. What did you expect? Where are you? Where do you think I am? Look in the mirror. The mirror? What? A small mirror with a pearl encrusted border. She was going to take it along with everything else, but she forgot. Well, what are you going to do now? No. No, I'm, I'm going to... It's not too late. Get down on your knees to Cecily. Pray to her to forgive you. Never. No, not to her. Not to Cecily. You can't afford to have pride. I'll get the money somehow. Oh, no. Not that way. I know what you're thinking. Look, it's the only way. I won't let you. I won't let you kill her. I'll stop you. It'll be a burglar. No. Yes, a burglar. And and, and he killed her. No. No, Jim. That's how it happened. I've got the gun at home. Don't do it, Jim. She'll be angry, but in the end, she'll forgive you. Oh, have an alibi. They'll never be able to prove it. No, don't. Don't kill her for her money. I have to. I won't let you. You can't stop me. I can warn Cecily. How could you? You, you? you can't. I'll stop you. I'll kill you first. Cecily? Cecily, where are you? Here. I'm here, darling, in the living room. Oh. How are you? As well as can be expected. What does that mean? Considering that my husband has... A. Deceived me with another woman. 
B, squandered every dollar he has in the world, and C, plans to murder me for my inheritance, I don't feel too badly. What on earth are you... Is it true? Where, where could you possibly get such a crazy you, idea? You told me. I told you? Yes. Strangest thing happened. I was sitting at the mirror combing my hair. And I looked in the mirror and it wasn't my face at all, but yours. That's... that's impossible. And you started to talk to me. And you told me everything, including the fact that you want to kill me. No, it, it isn't true. How, how, could you, how could you see my face in the mirror? But I did. And you spoke to me. It could have been a dream. Perhaps. But does it matter? Darling, I... I love you. Why, why would I... I suppose I've been blind, but no more. I wish I could convince you. What are you looking for in that drawer? For, I'm not looking for anything. That's not true. You were looking for this. What? Cecily, don't. You... You couldn't shoot me? No, I couldn't. I'm not like you. Wh wh why are you pointing that pistol at me? Get out. Get out? This is no longer your home. I'm no longer your wife. And I'm holding this gun because as long as I hold it, you won't be able to kill me. Cecily, you're mad. It's all in your imagination. Stay just where you are. Well, we've been married 22 years. We, we, we love each other. Not another step, I warn you. Cecily, you wouldn't shoot me. You couldn't. Stop. Give me that gun. No. No. Drop it. No, no you want to kill me. Help. Shut up. Help me, somebody. He wants to kill me. I'll, I'll help you. Keep out of this. You keep out of it. Get back. Back in the mirror where no. you belong. No, I don't. I don't belong there anymore. You have another image. Get away. look in the mirror might help us arrive at the answer. Answers. So much in demand and so short in supply. However, we do have the full answer for your mystery, suspense, and excitement needs right here. 
Our cast included Alexander Scorby, Laurie March, William Redfield, and Marion Haley. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. much as I do, you're going to love this one. Uh, It's called Murder Castle. I tell you, Captain, it don't make sense. We picked her up walking down the street saying the same thing over and over again. Well, she's as goofy as they come, I tell you. Listen to her yourself. Revenge, 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 revenge. Revenge, revenge. Yeah, listen to her, Captain. Over and over again. Such a young and pretty girl. What could have driven her out of her mind like that, I ask you? Revenge, 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 What is it? I, I'm looking for a Mr. Henry Stewart, if you please. Oh, oh, you mean about the advertisement? Yes, that's right. I got here as soon as I could. That's all right. That's all right. As long as you got here, that's all that matters. Come in. Come in. Oh, thank you. Uh, just uh, put your suitcase down there. It'll be all right. Thank you. Oh. Now, if you'll come out this way. Thank you. Just step in here, Miss... Uh... Malone. Ella Malone. Oh, yes, of course. Miss Malone. Now, then, you'll have a chair, please. Oh, thank you. Ah, there we are. Now, then, Miss Malone, uh, to be perfectly frank with you, I wasn't quite expecting you today. Oh, I'm truly sorry, Mr. Stewart. But, you see, I, I took the wrong train and I... Well, I had the hardest time finding the house. I do hope you'll forgive me. Of course, of course. Don't give it another thought. Promptness may be a virtue, but we all can't be virtuous, now can we? (laughs) Now then, uh, you're here in answer to my advertisement. Yes, sir. You wrote me. Oh, yes, yes, it was. You're the young lady from... uh... Uh, From Queensville. Oh, yes, Queensville. Uh, You uh, have my letter with you? Oh, yes, sir. Right here, sir. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm Hmm. Now then, uh, your friends know you came here, of course. There's no one very much interested, Mr. Stewart. Oh, 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 come now. A pretty young girl like you, no young bows, and so on, so on. No, sir, there's no one. I mean, sir, you can depend on me to give all my attention to my work. Very commendable, very commendable indeed. 
My work, as I wrote you, is entirely confidential. My philanthropies are, to a great extent, entirely sub rosa. No fuss, no feathers. You understand what I mean? Oh, yes, sir. As my secretary, my affairs will be entirely in your hands. My checking account, my finances, and so on, so on. Entirely in your care. I understand, sir. It's uh, quite a responsibility, and uh, you're quite a young woman. And as I wrote you, the bank... Oh, oh yes, sir, I understand. Uh, the bond, I brought the money for it. Three hundred dollars. I've got it right here, sir. Oh, fine, fine. That's very businesslike. Yes, indeed. Uh, I'll give you a receipt, and there we'll be. Uh, Mr. Stewart. Yes? Oh, my pen. Oh, oh yes, indeed. Here we are. Uh, my money. Uh, will I get it back from the bank any time I leave your employ... I mean, when you want me to? Hmm? Oh, uh, yes, of course, of course. Ah, uh, now then, here we are. Received of Miss Nellie Malone. Ella. Oh, yes, of course, Ella. Memory isn't quite what it used to be. <laughs> That's why I need a good secretary. I'm very good at remembering things. Oh, you are, you are. Now then, uh, we are. Guess this receipt is in good order. Received of Miss Ella Malone. $300 to be deposited with the Merchants Bank as surety bond. And to be returned to said Ella Malone upon request. There's my signature. How then, how's that? I'm sure that'll do very well, sir. <laughs> now, uh, then, uh, you have got my receipt, but I... Uh... Oh, oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> not at all, not at all. Oh, of course, I have it right here. I am sorry. Oh, well, I understand the excitement of your trip. Here it is, Mr. Stewart. You see, I had it already in an envelope. Now, if you're open... Oh, no, no, not at all, not at all. Ben can do that when I send it to them in the morning. Now, uh, just put your purse down there and I'll show you through your new home. Yes, Mr. Stewart. Now, we'll go right up these stairs. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, you find I have quite a place here. Three stories high, and every inch of it my own design. Rather... Dark. Oh, oh, careful now, careful. Oh, I'm all right. <laughs> Mustn't hurt yourself. Hardly the way to start a new job. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, now then, here we are. Got a nice room for you, very nice. Fact of the matter is, you can choose any room on this floor. But, Mr. Stewart, your daughters... Daughters? Yes, won't they object? You said any... Oh, yes. Yes, my daughters. I did write you about them, didn't I? Yes, you did. Uh, well, never mind about them. They're upstairs studying. <laughs> now, right here. I suggest that you take this room, at least for tonight. Whatever you say, Mr. Stewart. Uh, get the light on here. There we are. Nice, isn't it? Uh, I- I've never had such a large room. If you've got one a little smaller... On the contrary, my dear Miss Malone, you'll find this one small enough. Perhaps a little too small. <laughs> yes, indeed. Entirely too small. But, Mr. Stewart... Locking the door. M- Mr. Stewart, why did you... Mr. Stewart, why did you lock the door? Mr. Stewart! Mr. Stewart, why did you shut me in here? Mr. Stewart, please. Please answer me. Mr. Stewart, please let me out of here. Mr. Stewart, please let me out of here. Yes, yes, Miss Nord. There's no doubt in my mind at all that you're the very person I want to employ as my housekeeper. I'm very glad to hear that, Mr. Stewart. Of course, the matter of being housekeeper of a place as large as mine calls for definite qualities, you understand, of course. I'll just do my best, sir. Well, one certainly can't ask for more than that, no, indeed. Your wife 
Maybe she'd like to talk to me. My wife. Oh, yes, of course. I wrote you about my wife, didn't I? Yes, sir. Uh, well, my wife is out shopping. As soon as she returns, you will meet her. I'm sure she'll find your recommendations as satisfactory as I did. Makes me very happy. I've always wanted to work in a fine house. Uh, now, uh, about money. Oh, any salary you want to pay me, Mr. Judy, it's, it's all right. I, I just want a chance to show you how good I can do your work. Very commendable, yes, indeed, very commendable. But uh, we must agree on a salary. I'm the sort of man who has respect for money and expects a similar respect in others. Oh, yes, and speaking of money, you'll be wanting to open a new bank account, I suppose. Bank account? Yes, it's my principle that everyone employed by me should have a savings account. Bill's character. I'll open an account for you in the morning. You can transfer any other bank accounts you have back in your hometown up to my bank. Convenience, you know. Oh, no, sir. I haven't got that. Hmm? I haven't any money in the bank back home. I, I took it all out. Oh, oh. It wasn't much anywhere. What was left of father's insurance money after my mother died. Oh, yes, yes. Um, well, now then, supposing you leave all your things here and uh, we'll go look over the house, hmm? That'll be very nice. Yeah, uh, right through this door. I'd be glad to be working in such a big house. Right this way. Oh, yes, yes, quite an establishment here. Designed it all myself. I work hard, Mr. Stewart. Oh, yes, yes, I'm certain you will. Now then, I down these stairs. I'll uh, show you everything downstairs first. You have a washing machine? Yeah? Oh, yes, 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 everything modern, everything convenient. High, wide basement. There you are. Now, watch yourself. It's uh, just a little dark down here this time of day. Oh, it is a big basement, all right. Could hang up plenty of washing down here. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Now, if you'll just come this way. You, you building something down here? Building? Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Always building, always changing, always remodeling, changing, changing, changing. My hobby, always changing things. <laughs> Hard to keep clean. Now, now, don't you worry about that. Everything will be cleaned up in short order. The bags of sand and concrete, concrete mixer, everything will be out of the way. Won't bother you at all. No, not at all. <laughs> All right, this way. You, you're making more room? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. With nice, clean, concrete floors. Here. Look at this one. It's kind of dark. Oh, come on, come on. Get closer. All my own work. You see, the floor is still wet. I like concrete, don't you? Yes, it is clean. Yes. Covers everything. You know how deep that concrete is? Three feet deep. Yes, ma'am, three feet deep. And I just poured it an hour before you honored me with your presence. Three feet. That'll make a mighty thick slab of stone, won't it, Miss Nord? Thick enough to cover you. Ah. Ah. Yes, indeed. A fist at the point of the jaw, still a most effective soporific. Uh. Oh, you're quite a light woman, my dear Miss Nord. Up you go. And in you go. Face down. What an unusual bed you lie in, Miss Nord. Sinking down and down and down. And the concrete will harden. And I... Uh, I guess I will have to get myself a new housekeeper. lean back now and relax for a moment. Let's take time out from tonight's amazing lights out story. The story of a strange, mysterious mansion 
the one woman who entered those doors and was never seen alive again. Let's turn during this brief intermission to a much more everyday situation and a question that's much easier to answer. An angry girl is storming out of her friend's house. And her friend says, What can be wrong with Lucy these days? She crosses a bear and she's losing so much weight she looks terrible. She's just no fun anymore. Well, you know what that well-known nutrition authority says about how improper eating due to wartime living may cause a person to become deficient in vitamin B1 and iron and how you absolutely need enough of them to keep your right weight and energy. Well, I come to think of it, that was Ruth's trouble when she got so run down. So she took ironized yeast tablets. And you know how grand she looks and feels again now. Yes, friends. Any number of people who, due to vitamin B1 and iron shortage, were losing weight, losing strength and energy and interest in life, tell how ironized yeast tablets help them regain glorious pep and strength and needed pounds. So if you're short vitamin B1 and iron, don't wait. Go to your druggist this very night and say, A bottle of ironized yeast tablets, please. And now back to our Lights Out story of... Murder Castle. Hello. 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 Is this the employment agency? This is Mr. Stewart. Mr. Henry Stewart. I'm interested in employing a nurse for my child. Uh, someone preferably unattached who can live here with my wife and myself. No, 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 just send me their names, addresses, and references, and so on. I'll, I'll send you a check for the services. My address is 424 East 7th. Yes, that's right, just their names and addresses. Yes, yes, I'll send you a check. Well, goodbye. Yes, yes, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there. Yes, yes, what is it? Is, is Mr. Stewart in? Oh, yes, 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 indeed. Won't you come in? Hi, Mr. Stewart. Thank you. <laughs> You're answering in regard to... Uh... The material position. You wrote me a letter. Oh, yes, 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 indeed. Uh, won't you step in here, please? Thank you. Now, you sit there, I'll sit here. We'll get better acquainted. Put your suitcase down there in the place, George. Now then, I'm afraid I didn't quite get your name. Ray. Betty Ray. You wrote me. Oh, yes, of course. I remember you distinctly. Uh, now then, you have my letter to you just to sort of refresh my memory on the circumstances, don't you know? Oh. Well, I'm sorry. Eh? I didn't bring it with me. Oh. Well, then, suppose you tell me a little more about yourself uh, and all that's happened. Mother and father see you off the train, I suppose. Oh, no, sir. It's, it's the way I wrote you, Mr. Stewart. I... I'm quite alone. Oh, yes. Well, but, uh, first there's the matter of the surety bond. I wrote to you about that, didn't I? Yes. Yes, you did. Ah, yes, I felt quite certain of that. Mr. Stewart, I was wondering... Yes? Have you had many secretaries? Why do you ask that? I want to know. Why do you ask that question? And what happens to them after you hire them? Tell me, what happens to them? Young woman, just who are you? My name is Betty Malone. Malone. Betty Malone. My sister Ella came here a month ago about a job. And I want to know where she is. Do you hear me? I want to know where she is. I, I don't think I quite know what you're talking about. Why do you lie to me? Why do you lie to me? She was here. She was. Oh, then what makes you so sure? A letter you wrote her. The first one. 
I waited a whole month, and then I came here. And as soon as I saw you, I thought something was wrong. And now I know there is. My sister Ella, where is she? You've got to tell me. What if I tell you again that I don't know what you're talking about? I- I'll go to the police. They'll make you tell the truth. I know she came here. I know she did. <laughs> Why do you laugh? Why? Because you're being a very foolish young lady. Very foolish indeed. There's no need to get excited. <laughs> of course your sister's here. And very happy, too. She... She's here? Yes, yes. And very happy, too. So then take me to her. Please take me to her. All right, all right. No need to get excited. Of course, I'll take you to her. I intended to all along. I was just having a little joke with you. Is she all right? Is she Of course, of course. Now then, come right along with me. Come right along with me. Thank you. She's right up here. Been with me for over a month. Why didn't she write? Why didn't she tell me? I down this hall, and you can ask her that for yourself. This isn't a trick, is it? My dear young lady, (laughs) you have easily the most suspicious mind of anyone I've ever met. Why, I'm quite a helpless old man, and you always have recourse, as you put it, to the police. (laughs) Here we are, right in this room. Now, go right in. All right. Wait, it's locked. Well, knock on the door, and she'll open it for you. Ella? Ella, it's Betty. Let me in, darling, it's Betty. Please, it's Betty, your sister Betty. Well, now, she certainly is a tight sleeper. But she can't be sleeping. Open the door. Please open the door. All right, all right. No reason to get excited. Quickly, open the door quickly. Now, don't excite yourself needlessly. I'll go ahead. You open the door. Ella, it's Betty. Ella, what? Now then, my dear Betty, we understand each other clearly, don't we? Ella. Dead. Nothing like a complete understanding now, is there? Ella. Dead. Oh, it wasn't so difficult. I shut the door, sealed it, and nature took care of the rest. Ella. Dead. She died quite easily. Much easier than others. Why? You mean, why do I do it? It's a very simple explanation, young woman. This is my business. Yes, yes, my business. Some men make their fortunes in stocks, some bonds, some in business. And this is my business. Why? 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 Why is any business conducted? Profit, my dear. And I've made quite a neat little profit. Oh, yes. And a very safe one, too. You're dead. Yes. And you're the very first to come wandering about looking for one of my uh, customers. The first. And I assure you, the last. Oh, yes. Thirty women have come in my front door. Ella. Thirty-one, including you and Ella. Uh, come on along. No. I'll tell you all about them. You'll find it most instructive. Yes, indeed. Now, come. Don't, don't hold my arm. But I must. He's collared as they twist and turn. Oh, yes, it's best I hold your arm. Get lost easily around this house. <laughs> my most interesting house. Where are you taking me? Ah, yes, there were thirty before you. Most interesting array. I used to read the want ads in small town papers, and then I'd write letters. Oh, most interesting letters. I needed a secretary, a housekeeper, nurse, excellent salary, unusual accommodation. Oh, how well, I knew this had happened. Indeed. And they brought all their worldly belongings with them, generally in a suitcase. Little here, little there. Oh, why should it be most profitable? Now, in this room, for example... No. No, don't open that door. No. Perhaps it would be better not to. 
The one in here came to be my housekeeper. Oh, let me see. How long ago was it? Oh, well, no matter. She came as a housekeeper, and after she went into a uh, retirement in that room, I found in her suitcase such interesting bonds. Why, I tell you, my eyes fairly popped right in my head. Oh, yes. It's the uncertainty that makes my little business so very fascinating. Killed 30 women. Now, let's go down a little way now, down here. Don't make me pull you along. Killed 30 women. It wasn't difficult. Most women are such fools, anxious to believe what they want to believe. They came here for life and you gave them death. Ah, you're the smart one. That's why I'm even bothering showing you my work. I never did the others. And showing you around won't do harm. You won't be talking long. 30 women died. Now, in this room... Oh, uh, let me open it and show you. No. No, don't make me look. No, please, no. No. Oh, you see? There's no reason for excitement. Just an empty room. Uh, that's what she thought when she went in here. Then I pressed this button, so... <laughs> and the floor flopped open as she stood on it, and down she went. Down, down, down. Guess into what? A pit of lime. Oh, oh, yes, I tried out so many different ways of killing them. You wonder why they'll never find me out? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I'm much too smart for all of them. Oh, not perfect crimes. No, nothing infantile, but just cleverness in choosing the women I do my business with and an equal cleverness in doing away with them. Oh, yes, indeed. Now then, what was I telling you? Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Why they'll never get me? Ella, seeing you had done things in my head. No, corpus delicti. And if there is one, no evidence of violence. Ah, there, that's the secret. Were you very frightened, sister? Pearl of quicklime, there's no corpus delecti after that, I can tell you. <laughs> Not when you bury them in a slab of concrete. Ah, yes, that's the secret. I could only have been with you, little sister. Now, this room, let me show it to you. I, I think this will be your room, my dear. Are you frightened? You see the door? Airtight, airtight, yes, indeed. I'll open it. <laughs> the room. Amazing sight, isn't it? No doors, no windows. I could have helped you, Ella. Now, I'll shut you up inside the room, then I'll close the door and press this button here like this. You hear that, little one? You hear that? Pumping, pumping, pumping. And guess what is pumping? Ella, Ella, my head. Air. You hear me? Pumping the air out of the room. Yes, that's clever, isn't it? <laughs> you breathe, and soon there'll be nothing there to breathe, and then you'll die. And the police do find your body, no mark of violence, nothing but asphyxiation. A most mysterious death, they'll say. In time, they'll decide it's all quite natural, embolism, heart attack. Oh, they'll think up a fancy name to clear their files. Yes, indeed, they always do. It isn't right for him to live with the Now, first, off with the pump. Now, my dear, I think you'd better step inside quickly now so I can close the door and go about my other work. Quickly, I tell you. No, wait. Wait, wait for what? I want to give you something. What can you give me that doesn't belong to me already? This. Gun. Get in there. Get in that room. Gun. You had a gun in your purse all the time. I promise. I brought it for the man who... Ella. Get in there. No, no, no. What are you going to... Get in there. I'll press the trigger. Get in there. I'll kill you. No, no. Don't. Get in. Don't. don't. Get... I'm an old harmless man. I was only fooling. I wouldn't hurt you for the world. Revenge. Strike to revenge, isn't it, Ella? He said to press this button, Ella. The pump. It's running, Ella. Listen to it. It's killing him the way he killed you. It's right to revenge, isn't it, little sister? Fight to revenge. 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 The air. It's going out. The air. 
that motor out there. You hear me? Shut off that motor. Pumping out the air. Pumping it out. The pipe. They are going out. I can't reach the pipe. Shut it off, you devil out there. Shut it off. It'll kill me. Kill me. It's getting set already. Shut it off. I'll give you anything, anything you want. Shut off that drum. I can't die. I won't die. I'll tear the walls down. Let me out of here. Man's got the web here. Let me out. Let me out. Well, my ear. Can't hear. Drums breaking. Blood in my mouth. My eyes. No air. Bleeding. Air. Give me air. Breath of air. Air. Revenge, 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 yes, listen to her, Captain. Over and over again. Revenge, Such a young and pretty girl. Revenge, revenge. What could have driven her out of her mind, crazy like that? Revenge, revenge. What, I ask you? Robler, and I suppose they all died happily ever after. You um, put things so sweetly, Mr. Martin. <laughs> the dark corners of the human mind are the deepest dark, I believe, of anything in the universe. Speaking of darkness, how would you like to turn back the pages of that nebulous stuff known as time to the Sakhalin of Tsarist Russia? Uh, you mean right now, Mr. Robler? Oh, yeah. You know the answer to that as well as I do, Frank. It's always after you've had your say for iron IGs. Remember, friends, if you're deficient in vitamin B1 and iron, if that's why you're so under par in weight and strength and energy, then get ironized yeast tablets right away. Now, of course, a rundown condition may be due to other causes. If in doubt, see your doctor. But if you're simply short vitamin B1 and iron, remember... Ironized yeast has been so successful in such cases that it's sold on this no-risk, money-back basis. If you don't begin to eat better, to look and feel much stronger, peppier, and more alive, the cost of the first bottle will be refunded to you in full by Ironized Yeast, Box IY, Rahway, New Jersey. Now, uh, what is this about Sakhalin? Isn't that the Russian island up above Japan? Yes, but our story concerns itself only about the Sakhalin, or Sakhalin, which was used as an, ed an execution ground, and a, well, it was a sort of a macabre education ground, and a devil's island against the enemies of the Tsar. It's a strange story of man's inhumanity to man in one of the strangest places this world has ever known. But be with us again, as usual, next week. Next, we got, well, <laughs> I do it every time, one of my favorites, and it, but it is, I can't help it, guys, uh, Witch's Tale, I love Witch's Tale, <laughs> and this one is called Rat in a Trap, 
and you know, she's always got her cat Satan with her. God help us. But he won't bother you. <laughs> Rat in a trap. of the eerie, weird, blood-chilling tales told by old Nancy, the witch of Salem, and Satan, her wise black cat. They are waiting, waiting for you. for little bedtime stories. <laughs> Douse up them lights so we'll have it nice and dark. <laughs> when you listens to our tales, sitting in the gloom, it helps you to have pretty dreams. Now, draw up to the fire and gaze into the embers. Gaze into them deep and soon you'll be away out west in Michigan. And there, in a fine big house, where there's a party going on, begins our yarn called Rat in a Trap. <laughs> Rat in a Trap! <laughs> ah, didn't know you were out here in the veranda, Denny. Ah, enjoying the night air, Mr. Copper. Ah, it's as hot as blazes inside. But young fellas like you should be in there dancing in spite of the heat. I'm afraid I'm not much of a dancer. Mm, you mean, when the only girl you care to dance with doesn't happen to be around, eh? <laughs> Son, you're certainly a model for husbands. <laughs> Too bad Lucy didn't come in with you this morning. She'd have enjoyed this. Yeah, I wish she had come along the way things turned out. But you know I expected to return on the late afternoon train. I'm glad you missed that last train. So we can have you here tonight. Yes, it's nice to be here, but... This is the first night Lucy and I have been separated since our marriage. <laughs> Nowadays, ladies have the vote. One of the first things a rising young lawyer with political ambitions must learn is not to appear too much married. Oh, I forgot that you're trying to make me president someday. <laughs> <laughs> I may, but right now we'll compromise on the United States Senator. Seriously, son, you have the stuff, and people have begun to talk about you. You're pretty young for the job, but I've about decided to run you for prosecutor next election. Think you can make good? I? Oh. All I can say is that I'll do my best. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fair from what you've shown so far, but, uh... Dan, you have a couple of faults that won't fit so well in the district attorney's office. Oh, what do you mean? You know, you've shut off your mouth a lot about certain disagreements you have with our criminal code. Well, I've said that our laws are unfitted to the crimes they were designed to control. I've said that because I think it. Our penal code is wholly unsuited to cope with the thousand and one types of crime, the varied individuals who commit it. If I had the power, I'd amend that code so that it would cease to be a makeshift of political expediency 
and instead would truly serve the cause of justice. Doggone, that's as good a piece of campaign propaganda as I ever listened to. Oh, I meant what I said. Maybe you did, but you said it like a politician, and that's what interests me. I take back what I said about your faults. Develop them. <laughs> ah, but it's getting late. Come and dance with some of those pretty girls inside before the party breaks out. I'd better telephone Lucy first. I, I feel a little uneasy. That summer place of ours is so isolated back in the woods, and... Lucy's not alone there. No, Pete Lorillard and his wife are with her. Oh, if she'd been alone, I'd have hired a cab and driven back tonight instead of waiting for the morning train. Mm, over those roads, you'd arrive tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> Come on, let's go inside. All right. Oh, there you are, Dick. Oh, we've been looking for you everywhere, you and Abner. There's a lovely little blonde simply dying to meet you. Oh, well, I've come gladly to save her life, but I really think I should call up Lucy once more, if you don't mind. I do mind. And so will Lucy if you call her at this hour. Daddy, she'll be sound asleep. I suppose you're right, but somehow... <laughs> Speaking of telephones, uh... Hello? Who do you want? Daniel Miller. Oh, for me. It's Lucy. Lucy? Dan, she's crying. There's something the matter. Something the matter? Yeah, give me that phone. Lucy? Yes, dear, this is Dan. What's wrong, darling? You sound hysterical. You say the Lorillards were called away this afternoon? You're alone? Three men are breaking in the house? Lucy! Lucy! Oh, my God! <laughs> come to my office today. A man who's just spent six months in the hospital has no business to even poke his nose outside of doors. I'm quite strong now, Mr. Cowper, and I had to come and have a talk to you. While I was in the hospital, out of what you thought was kindness, you censored all police reports to me. Now I want you to tell me whether they honestly expect to ever find the, the creatures 
caused my wife to put a bullet to her head. Daniel. I want the truth. I, uh, I, uh, the... All right, son. I won't lie to you. I've kept the cops working on this case as they've never worked before. They haven't fallen down because they've never had a single worthwhile clue to work on. When they arrived at your house in the woods that night, the men who broke in had disappeared. We assume they were hobos of the most depraved type. But that's all we know about them. We found no fingerprints. We have no clue to their appearance even. Except the meager description of poor, frantic Lucy. Yes. The meager description of poor, frantic Lucy. A big, dark man with a livid crisscross scar above his left eye that runs from brow to temple. Remember, dear. Remember. One a short man with red hair. The third a blonde man with a limp. Remember, dear. Remember. Son, the cops have picked up hundreds. Or maybe been forced to turn loose again. There's no evidence of any kind. If we had the guilty brutes before us in this room, we couldn't prove it without their own confessions. As a lawyer... You know what we're up against. Uh, an impossible job for lawyers and police. But if our law could catch them in its net, the code provides no punishment to fit their crime. Goodbye, Mr. Carper. Goodbye? Why, you say that as though we mightn't meet again. We may not. I'm leaving town tomorrow. I've got a job to do. Say, look here. You haven't the crazy idea that you can find those men yourself? Damn. To locate those three boots and secure evidence against them, a man might have to search the hobo jungles of this country an entire lifetime. I know how bitter you feel, son. But the past is past. And grief and hatred won't unmake it. I've got big things in store for you, boy. Pick up the threads of your normal life again. Think of your future. Your career. My future's to remember. My career's to repay. Goodbye, Mr. Calvin. Hello there, lawyer Thomas. That Yankee partner you on around? Yeah, you might find him down by the railroad yards, Jesse. <laughs> they boarding sure peeks through some some funny friends. Uh, well, I suppose he likes them tramps, lawyer. Yeah, I have an idea. Sure, they men's been in this town off and on for nine, eight years now. Yet no one knows him. Well, I wouldn't say that, Jesse. I know him pretty well. Yeah, no wire jumps like a shell-shocked soldier every time a telephone rings. No. Yeah, no wire's hair, snow white, when he did more than 40. No. <laughs> know what his real name was before he changed it to Dave Morton? No, and them things is none of my business or yours. Just the same. There's a mystery about that man that sort of worries me. Lawyer Thomas. Well, you suppose your partner, Lawyer Morton, pays me five dollars cash money for every tramp we get in the jailhouse who I persuade to take him for a tornado. My partner pays you money to secure him hobo clients? Hey, are you here now to bring him such a case? Uh-huh, but this time is just for joke. <laughs> the client I'm bringing him today is that tramp who murdered the old woman. Big Mike, yeah, the dog Sheriff Greeley rescued from the lynching mob last night. Big Mike asked me to get him. Get him Mr. Morton for his lawyer. Yeah, said a pal of his had told him about him. No partner of mine is touching his case. If Morton got the brute off by a miracle, they both be lynched. Yeah, here's Morton now. Hello, Jesse. Hello, Tom. Long day. Uh, lawyer Morton, a man over at the jailhouse who ain't got no money wants to hire you to get him out. Thanks for bringing the message, Jesse. But if you're speaking of Big Mike, I've already seen him. 
I'm going to defend him. You're going to defend Big Mike? Yes, Tom. Lawyer Morton, you're joking. Dave, you're mad. The man is guilty. Uh, guilty as hell. I'm going to save him from the rope because I like his looks. He's a big, dark man with a scar above his left eye. A livid crisscross scar that runs from brow to temple. <laughs> reading and talking about me. If you hadn't to sneak me here to your house, boss, they'd have had me swinging on the lamppost by now. Come away from the window. You're safe here, Mike. Gee, I hope so. But you got to get me out of town quick. They look for me here and string me up. I'll never lynch you, Mike. I'm taking care of you now. Better have another drink. Then I draw those curtains tighter. Uh, I do need another hooker, boss. And I'm drinking it to you. No other mouthpiece in the world could have swung that jury so they'd bring a verdict of not guilty. No. No other in the world. <laughs> I used perjured testimony, lying witnesses, a framed alibi. I used every dirty trick in the book. But I got you off, Mike. Out of jail, away from the hangman. And I've got you now. <laughs> Alone with me. You're acting a little crazy, boss. Say, I'll have another. You know I can't figure you out, boss. Why do you make me tell you how I croaked that old woman for you to take my case? I was interested in you, Mike. And for ten years it's been my rule to know the truth about my client's guilt or innocence before I took a case. Yeah, I heard that. And every hobo from Maine to California says that spilling you the truth never brung him home. That's why I told you the works right off the bat. You got a great name in the jungle, boss. Yeah, it took me ten years to build that reputation, Mike. Won't you have another drink? Thanks. But, gee, you'll have me stewed in a minute. Well, here's how again. See, you're a funny guy. You not only spend your own dough to buy witnesses and all, but then you bring me to your house and treat me like a prince. It's very simple, Mike. I've done the things I have because you interest me. Yeah, interest me tremendously. Now, I'd like to know more about your life, about your travels, experiences. Other little peccadilloes before you so neatly strangled that last old woman. Say... Why are you always asking me questions about what I'd done before we met? Are you afraid to trust a man who saved your life? Oh, but you ask such nutty questions. How long I'd had this crooked scar over me eye, for instance? I was merely curious as to whether you had it ten years ago when you were in Michigan. And I told you I don't know nothing about Michigan. Oh, come on, Mike. You've lied about that long enough. I never mentioned it before, but friends of yours have told me you were there. What friends? Let me see now. Oh, yeah. Their names were Red and Limpy. Red and Limpy? You know them? Quite well. I haven't seen them lately. Have you? No. Neither has anyone else. What do you mean? 
that they disappeared from the road. And they ain't in jail nowhere. They're just gone. What'd I tell you about me in Michigan? The most interesting story I've ever heard. About a house in the woods. And a woman. They call you that, eh? Yes. Have another drink. I'll open this fresh bottle and join you. Suppose you tell me about your Michigan adventure. I... I didn't have no part in it. I didn't... Here's your drink, Mike. Uh, I must be off my nut to be afraid of you. I got reason to trust you. And I need help about that Michigan job. Need it bad. Listen, the word's gone round that that dame's husband has been searching ever since it happened. That he's been on the road with the bows and riding the rails, living in the jungles, asking questions, trying to learn who caused his wife to shoot herself. They say he did for Red and Limpy... And no one's even found their bodies. He used to be a lawyer, just like you, boss. He was... God! Why are you stopping, man? The, uh, the notion just crossed me mind that you might be him. <laughs> I must be drunk to think a thing like that about the guy who saved me from the rope. <laughs> if you was her husband, you'd, you'd have sent me there. <laughs> so give me that drink, boss, and... I'll spill the wikes. <laughs> this liquor tastes funny, but it's good. It's swell. Drink yawn, too, boss, and I'll tell you all about a pretty little dame in the house in the woods. Helpless she was as a rat in a trap. Helpless, frightened, like I like to see him. <laughs> uh, too bad she shot herself before. Say, boss, what's eating you? You crush that glass in your hand as if it was paper. And your eyes look crazy. See, what you pulling them curtains on the wall for? So you can see what lies behind them. Just a couple of plaster statues of two guys' heads and shoulders. But the faces is all gone, so the bones are shown through. What happened to those faces? You're going to find out, Mike. Just as Red and Limpy learned. Red and Limpy? These busts are their death masks. Taken in soft plaster after they'd lain here helpless. Helpless. Helpless as rats in a trap. As you're going to lie here, helpless, while your punishment fits your cry. God, you're the guy. I'm the husband of the girl you brought to death. I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> you can't. You can't rise from that chair. You dope me liquor. I can't move. I'll move you. Down to my cellar below. Down to my cellar, which I've saved you from the gallows. The news for you'll be too easy, Mike. Your punishment will fit your crime. No, let me go. Let me go. What you gonna do? Your punishment will fit your crime. Your punishment will fit your crime. You can't see a thing in this cellar, can you, Mike? And no one's so helpless as when they're in the dark. I want you to be very helpless, Mike. More helpless than a rat in a trap. Helpless as a woman alone in the house in the woods. Helpless as a man who loved her and who heard you 50 miles away. Helpless as a man who heard the shot that killed her. He couldn't raise his hand to say, What are you going to do to me? Hey, let me tie the stakes and spread eagle on the floor. But how are you going to kill me? What are you going to do? You're struggling, Mike. But your bums will hold. I tied them very tight. What did you do to Red and Limpy that you're going to do to me? 
in them plaster bust upstairs. What happened to their faces? Guess, Mike. Guess. If you don't tell me, I go nuts. Nuts, I tell you. Raven nuts. Oh, no, you won't. Not for many hours. I've investigated the length of time required to drive men mad. Your brain's undeveloped, so it'll take you longer than most. Ah, help! Help! God, if I could only see you... Ah, oh, you're putting something over me head. Yeah, part of a little apparatus that made red and limpy features. Use your imagination, Mike. You may guess how it's done. Oh, God. Oh, God, why, why don't you curse at me and beat me and kick me and do something I can understand? What are you going to do to me when you leave me? How am I going to die? When I reach the top of these stairs, you'll know. When I open the secret panel, it will soon be the door of your tomb. Then you'll have a moment's light. Just enough for a quick, short glimpse around you. Uh, Two skeletons beside me. The bones of red and limpy. What else do you see? There's a cage coming over my head. A cage like a rat trap. Oh, I see the rat trap. A rat is in it. Rat in the cage with me. Soon he'll be crawling over me head and biting. Ah, that's what happened to the other faces. A rat. No, no, no. Don't leave me in the dark waiting helpless. Guessing when that rat's going to start a bite. That's your punishment, Mike. Oh, goodbye. Ah. The third Lucy. And the last. I remember. And I repay. Martin! Danny Martin! Martin Martin! Yes, Tom. I hear you. For God's sake, let me in! Quick as you value your life! I'll let you in, Tom. What's the matter, Tom? What you knew would be the matter when you got Big Mike acquitted. A lynching mob has formed and a challenge for this house. They won't find Big Mike here. He's gone. They ain't after him. They're coming here with the rope to hang you, Dave. They can hang me if they want to, Tom. They think I wish to live. I don't. Why, you're talking like a fool. Come on, there ain't time to talk. But I want to talk, Tom, about imagination. Imagination that can see a living rat in a crumpled old grey rag and mutilated human faces in two old broken plaster busts of poor blind justice. Imagination that kills more horribly and surely than if the things it sees were real. Dave Morton, I think you're mad. That mama's almost here. And if they find you, they'll hang you to a tree. Keep away from that front door. Here, what are you going to do? I'm going to meet them. Those who usurp the face of justice must expect a punishment to fit their crime. <laughs> Yarn to spin these folks. <laughs> A very pretty yarn. <laughs> <laughs> 
okay guys here's my strawberry and uh, I love suspense and so here we have the burning corpse and I hope you like it as much as I do. I wanted to put the whistler in here but I was afraid it would make my show too long. So, um, but anyway we have suspense, the burning corpse. The Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you suspense. Suspense. Stories from the world's great literature of pure excitement. A new series frankly dedicated to your horrification and entertainment. Week by week, from the pick of new material, from the pages of best-selling novels, from the theater of Broadway and London, and the sound stages of Hollywood, will parade the most remarkable figures ever known. CBS gives you... Suspense. Tonight's presentation is one of the finest of the contemporary stories of mystery and terror. John Dixon Carr's famous novel, The Burning Court. <laughs> glass of sherry by the fireside of a beautiful suburban home. What could be more comforting? You're an admirable host, Mr. Depart, and it's really a shame our first meeting is under such a cloud. It's also a shame I have so little time to tell you which one of your guests here ah, murdered your uncle last week. <laughs> Now, let's see now. I believe we're all here. Your wife, your friend, Mr. Stevens, Captain Brennan. Yes, and incidentally, yourself. Just who did you say you were? Well, no wonder you've had so much difficulty with the case, Captain. My name is Cross, Godin Cross, the writer. As a matter of fact, it's because of my just-completed book, Poisoning Throughout the Ages, that I happen to be here now. And Ted Stevens there happens to be a member of the firm which publishes my work. I'd never seen him until tonight, but I've been told what happened. This afternoon, he began reading my manuscript for the first time on the train. The commuter's train, which every afternoon deposits him safely and soundly here in Crispin. I imagine he was halfway home by the time he finished the first chapter. Then he turned a page. Attached to the following leaf was a picture. And looking at it, the young man stiffened suddenly and all but cried out his shock. It was a picture of a young woman, and under it had been printed Famous Poisoner Marie Dobre, 1676. Ted Stevens was looking at a picture of his own wife. (laughs) 
imagine, imagine his 25-year-old wife in 17th century costume. The face, the features, even a wistfulness of expression were identical. Even the name, Dobray was his wife's maiden name. But no, 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 that was ridiculous. This woman in the picture was, well, one of his wife's ancestors. Yes, that was it, that was it. Simply an amazing family resemblance. Marie would be waiting for him at the station and he'd have to tell her about it. He wondered why, however, she'd never told him about Oh, well, but you don't discuss such an ancestor, do you? Ted Stevens glanced down at the chapter to which the picture had been attached. It was entitled, The Affair of the Non-Dead Woman. Hello, Ted. Stevens was almost jolted from his seat. It was Dr. Weldon, professor of English at the college, an old friend of his. Quickly, he thrust the picture beneath the manuscript and moved over. I, I didn't see you, Doc. Oh, here, have a, have a seat. Oh, I thought maybe you were giving me the, uh, what do they call it? The brush off? Oh, no, I... Uh, say, as a matter of fact, Doc, you're the one man I do want to see. Yeah? Very flattering. Remember those discussions we used to have about murders? <laughs> Better than bridge any time. Well, I got the idea that you'd made sort of a hobby out of the old cases, the historical ones. Well, I've studied quite a number of them, yes. Ever hear of a woman named Marie Dobray? Marie Dobray? Marie Dobray. Oh, yes. Uh, That was her maiden name, of course. One of the finest specialists in arsenic poisoning you could ever hope to find. Oh, we're almost at our station, Ted. Let's get to the door. Yes, a real charmer Marie was. Must have disposed of half a hundred husbands, lovers, suitors, and just plain friends before she was caught. Uh, what happened to her, Doc? She was beheaded and burned. Crispin! Absurd, laughable. Ted Stevens kept saying this to himself, and yet what he knew was a foolish dread followed him straight through the small suburban station and clung to him as he reached the street. And there in the roadster was Marie, leaning toward him a little to hold the door open and smiling at him. Oh, Ted, what on earth are you staring at? That street light shining on your hair, I like that. Oh, you're tight. Come on, get in the car. Then, like a wisp of smoke, it was gone. The whole ridiculous fear. The delusion. When at home, Marie brought the cocktails into the living room. The logs were burning brightly in the fireplace, throwing a soft, dancing glow upon a room that was darkening with dusk. To you, Marie. And to you, dear. As Stevens placed his glass down, he noticed the manuscript of my book. It was there on the table, right where he placed it when he first came in. Deliberately, he turned from it. And then turned back. The manuscript had been moved. Only an inch or so, but it had been moved. Keeping his back to his wife, he thrummed through that early chapter and discovered just as he knew he would, that the photograph was gone. 
For a long moment, he thought of what to do. Then slowly, he turned around. This book by Cross I brought home. Yes? Uh, there was a story of Poisoner in it. Rather funny. Her name happens to be the same as yours. Oh, your maiden name, that is. Oh, that is odd, isn't it? <laughs> Darling, was she a relative of yours? Why, Ted, you're serious. In a way, yes. Oh, I don't mean it really important. It's just that, well, when you run across a person who's a dead ringer for your own wife and who lived 300 years ago and was a top-flight poisoner, well, you like to hear about it, that's all. What on earth are you talking about? Darling, be honest with me. Didn't you look at this manuscript when I was out of the room? No. You didn't take out a picture of a poisoner named Marie Debray? I most certainly did not. Oh, Ted, what is this all about? What are you getting at? Oh, just this. Somebody took that picture out of that manuscript since I've been home. Now, who's that? Well, I'll take a look. Wait, I don't feel like... Why, it's Mark Depard. Mark? Ted, wait a second. Yes? Ted, whatever it is he wants, promise you won't do it. Promise I won't do I it? I mean, promise you won't get yourself involved. Please, Ted, don't go out tonight. Say, what in the world is... Well, anyway, we can't let him stay outside. Mark, how are you? Come on in. Thanks, Ted. Just thinking about giving you a call later. Oh, let me have your hat. Oh, thanks. I, Marie, I, I hope you'll excuse me for popping in like this, but, well, I wanted to talk to Ted. It, it's rather important. Well, I don't mind at all. Come on, Mark. We'll step into the library. Oh, you mind, dear? Of course not, Ted. I'll be making the sandwiches for us. Oh, grab that chair in the corner, Mark. Well, let's hear it. What's the trouble? Ted... My Uncle Miles was murdered. Murdered? Oh, the talk hasn't reached you yet. But it's already started. Nothing definite, of course. Just that there was something wrong about Uncle Miles' death. But I don't... Mark, are you sure of this? You know he was murdered? I don't know. Of course I don't. I just don't see how it could be any other way. Uncle Miles, you know, had been sick for quite a while. But last Saturday, he seemed so much better that Miss Corbett, uh, that was his nurse, decided to take the day off and... Oh, well, you know all this. You and Marie were over that afternoon. Anyway, Lucy and I went to the club that night, to that masquerade party, and we left the old boy completely alone. I've cursed myself a thousand times since. But what about your housekeeper, Mrs., uh, what's her name? Henderson. Wasn't she around? Oh, sure. In that little house out in back. We told her to look in now and then, but, well, that wasn't good enough. It was after midnight when Lucy and I got back. Uncle Miles was dying. Ted, it looked exactly like one of his regular attacks. But then later, after he was gone, I happened to glance under the chest of drawers in his room. There was a small silver cup under there, almost drained, and Uncle Miles' cat. The cat was still warm, but quite dead. Oh. I managed to get the cat out of the house and buried without anyone seeing me. Next day, I had the contents of the cup analyzed. It was poison? Yes. Arsenic. Well, what do you want me to do? Help me open the crypt. What? I want to have a private autopsy performed. Help me get Uncle Miles' body out of that vault. Oh, I know it's a tough job. The thing is sealed solid, but we can do it. You mean without the police knowing about it? Without anybody knowing about it. Mrs. Henderson's visiting her sister, and I managed to send Lucy over to the club. You must be crazy. You're playing with dynamite, Mark. 
This is something you've got to tell the police now. I can't take that chance. But they'll have to know sometime. You're only I've got to know first, I tell you. You don't understand, Ted. There was somebody in Uncle Miles' room that night handing him something in a silver cup. Mrs. Henderson was on the porch by the window. She saw her. She saw her? Ted. She thinks it was my wife. Oh, Lucy. It doesn't mean anything to Mrs. Henderson yet because she doesn't suspect anything. But, well, Ted, you've got to see why I've got to be sure, why I've got to know how Uncle Miles died. Because it wasn't Lucy, Ted. I know it wasn't. Of course not, Mark. She had an alibi. Well, she was with you at the club, wasn't she? Yes. Except for half an hour. I see. You'll help me, won't you, Ted? When do we start? As soon as you can make it. Okay. Come on now, I'll get your hat. You trot on ahead and I'll come over as soon as I can see Marie. You're not going to tell her about this? Of course not. I'll think of something. Don't you worry about it. No, thanks, Ted. Thanks a lot. Uh, Marie? I'm coming. Uh, darling, uh, Mark asked me to... Uh... I know, Ted. Here. You better take these sandwiches with you. You'll be hungry. Oh, but you knew I was going out? Yes, I knew. You listened to us? I couldn't help it, Ted. I had an idea what Mark's visit was about. The talk about his uncle's death. There's a lot of gossip about it in the village. That's why I tried to tell you why I didn't want you to get mixed up in it. But it's too late now, isn't it? I mean, you're going. I can tell by the way you look. Ted, wait a second. There's just one thing I want to tell you before you leave. And that is that no matter what happens, no matter what you find or think or believe, I love you. You'll remember that, won't you? I'll remember you said so, Marie. By the light of a dim kerosene lantern, Mark and Ted Stevens pounded their way through the thick shelf of rock that covered the Depar's ancestral tomb. Pried open the great slab of stone which lay across the subterranean door and then at last descended to the dank, ink-black chamber. They found the coffin. They dragged it from its crypt and placed it on the cold stone floor. They unclamped the lid and opened it. Mark! It's empty. What? That's impossible. It can't be. But it is, Mark. You know what this means? That Bobby wasn't in this coffin when it was placed here. I'll swear it was, Ted. From the time that coffin was closed on Uncle Miles, somebody, the undertaker or Lucy or me, somebody was with it until it was buried. And the crypt was sealed right after. Then somebody beat us to it. Somebody's broken in here ahead of us. Broken in? Listen, Ted. Lucy and I have hardly left the house since the funeral. Do you think anybody could break in here? Smash through that stone and cement without our seeing them or without our hearing them? Well, well. What? Well, you might as well come on out then. But who was that? Me, Mr. Depard, up here. My name's Captain Brennan. I'm from the office of the Commissioner of Police. From the... I'd like to talk to you if you don't mind, Mr. Depard. Here, uh, follow my flashlight up. But I don't understand. How did you... How did you know about this? By listening, mainly. Do you mind if we go up to your house, Mr. Depard? Why, no. Not at all. Oh, thank you. Oh, Freddy. Uh, look here, Captain, I... Uh, Freddie, this is Mr. Depard, Lieutenant Gray. Glad to know you, Mr. Depard. And Mr. Uh, Ted Stevens, isn't it? Well, how did you... 
How did you know my name? Very simple. I got the names of everybody who was here at the day past the day the old man died. You and your wife were included. Oh, here we are. But I don't... Uh, uh, Captain, who gave you those names? Why, your housekeeper, of course. Mrs. Henderson? You didn't think Mrs. Henderson saw the dead cat, did you, Mr. Depart? But she did. She also saw you bury it. And uh, we've been interested in the case ever since. Well, nice place you have here, Mr. Depart. Now, let's see... According to Mrs. Henderson, your wife was wearing some kind of a masquerade costume that night. What kind of a thing was it? Well, it was a... Oh, there, you can see it. It was copied from the dress in that old painting over there. Oh, yes. Mm, funny, well, where's the woman's face? It's always been that way, long as I can remember. Somebody must have thrown acid on it or something. <laughs> Can't blame them much. She was a poisoner. A poisoner? Yes. The story goes that one of my ancestors was responsible for her execution. Marie Dobray, her name was. Oh, yes. I've read about her. Learned all the poison tricks from one of her lovers, guy by the name of Gordon Sacroix. Gordon Sacroix. Oh, yes, Mr. Stevens. We cops read now and then. And did, did you say Gordon Sacroix? That's French. We call it cross. <laughs> Absolutely no limit to a cop's education, is there? <laughs> but to uh, get back to your wife, Mr. Depart... She was dressed like the famous Marie. Now, when Mrs. Henderson looked through that window... Just a minute, Captain. Mrs. Henderson can't prove she saw a thing, and you know it. Now, what do you mean? I mean you haven't any right to insinuate that my wife was in that room. Well, who's insinuating? I, I'm trying to say that Mrs. Henderson, after thinking it over, realized that she was tricked by the costume. The woman she saw in the funny clothes, handing the cup of poison to your uncle, wasn't your wife at all. What? Because your wife is an unusually tall young woman. And the one Mrs. Henderson saw was fully half a head shorter. More on the order, let's say, of uh, Mr. Stevens' wife. My wife? Captain, Why, this is absolutely ridiculous. Well, I don't know. All right, what's the matter, Mr. Stevens? You're trembling like a leaf. Uh, tell me now, uh, just for fun, where was Mrs. Stevens that night? She was home with me. The whole evening? Certainly. She retired early? Yes, we both did. You, I suppose, were sound asleep by midnight. Yes, I was. Then how do you know where your wife was? Well, I... Look I... here, Stevens. She had to have a costume that would match Mrs. Depaz. How did she manage that? Where did she get it? Well, she... She never had one. She never had a dress like that. And what about our motive? Why did she poison him? I don't know. Not for money, suddenly. Then what was it? Hate? Did she hate Miles Depaz? Oh, yes, yes, she did. Yes. No! Oh, I, I... I don't know. I don't know, I tell you. Brown? Yes, Freddie? Phoned and got hold of Mrs. Depart and the nurse, all right. That Mrs. Stevens couldn't reach her. Her phone won't answer. Okay, have her picked up. I'm going home. Stevens, come back here. I'm going to get my wife. Oh, man, stop it, Brennan. Miss Cross, go down Cross. Cross? Where's my wife? What have you done to her? <laughs> you fiend, what have you done to my wife? You are nothing at all, young man. Here, 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 sit down. You're lying. Something's happened to her. The police just phoned. There wasn't an answer. Why are you here? Why am I here? Well, 
because your wife, reading my chapter on the Dubrays, realized I knew more about the family than even she did, because she found my phone number on the front cover of the manuscript, and because I know an exceptional case when I hear one. Does that answer your question? No, and you know it doesn't. Can't you see I've got to... I've got to know whether... Yeah, I see. Whether your wife is that Marie Dobray, who was burnt. Burnt by order of the High Tribunal for all poison cases. The burning court of France. Witchcraft. Black magic. The world across the threshold. You're quite sure, no doubt, also, that I'm Gaudin St. Croix, who first wooed her. No, no, my boy. <laughs> no, my real name happens to be, of all things, Tom Simpson. Most unsuitable for a distinguished writing career... And Marie Dobray is no more your wife's real name than mine is Gordon Cross. What? Your esteemed wife was an adopted child, Mr. Stevens, adopted by people in Canada named Dobray, remote members of the real family of poisoners. I can't believe it. Why? Why didn't she tell me? Why? Because until I told her half an hour ago, she didn't know it herself. You see, in the course of my research on the family, I found out about it. And in the course of talking with your wife, I found out something else. How for years she was haunted by the fear that she might be a poisoner by inheritance, by blood. And you can see, can't you, why she never talked about it? Her yes. past to you? Yes, yes. And yet, Mr. Stevens, you had all but made her forget that past. You. And that's why she was willing to lie, to steal a picture, do anything in order to hold you to her. Yes, yes, I, I see that now. You know, young man, I I rather think she loves you. But as you will see, though, I, she comes only when I call her. Uh, Mrs. Stevens? You mean she's... Yes, Mr. Cross. Marie, it's you. You're all right? Oh, yes, you were both all right now, and nothing can change it ever. Marie, listen. Don't say Marie, dear. Say Maggie. Maggie? Oh, that's my name, my real name. Maggie McTavish. And it's a lovely name, dear. The most beautiful, gorgeous... Darling, ever. darling, please. You don't understand. The police, they think you had something to do with Miles' death. They think I did. So, now, Mr. Stevens, before we go back to the Depars, don't you think you'd better tell me everything that's been said and done up to date? Having just saved your wife's soul from the burning court, now I'll rest her body from the electric chair. <laughs> Yes, Mr. Depart, truly excellent sherry. Don't you think so, Miss Corbett? Yes. Yes, it's very nice. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is how I happen to be here. So let us consider first that supernatural hocus-pocus in the crypt. That body that walked out of the sealed tomb. That body that never was in the tomb. Never was in the tomb? No, Mr. Depart. The murderer knew that very soon Mrs. Henderson's story would bring about an investigation. He had to get rid of the well-known corpus delicti. Yes, but who could have kept the body out of the tomb? Who, Mr. Depart? Why, you, sir. What? 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 <laughs> I, I don't understand. Well, it's very simple. You had the opportunity. I believe you said yourself you were alone with the body before the burial. And you had the strength. I dare say you carried it down to the furnace. Where it's now, probably nothing but ashes. Ridiculous. Why would he spend an hour smashing into a crypt for a body he knew wasn't there? Why, Captain? Hmm. To impress Mr. Stevens, his witness. And also, apparently, you. Oh, that's perfectly fantastic. Fantastic? <laughs> oh, no, Lucy. Just comic. 
And I suppose, Mr. Cross, that I also put on a woman's masquerade costume, went into my uncle's room and handed him a nice cup of arsenic. No, no, no. That had to be done by a woman. Your accomplice, as a matter of fact... Oh, now, come, come, come. You mustn't all look at Mrs. Depard, because Mark Depard's one noble act was his frantic effort to prevent his wife from being charged with the crime. A crime which he and nurse Myra Corbett committed. Myra Corbett? Were you... Yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Stevens, this quiet little lady beside uh, me. Why would I do such a thing? Money, Miss Corbett. A cutout of Mark Defar's inheritance. Payments for uh, services rendered. That's an absolute lie, Croft. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Captain Brennan never bothered to check Miss Corbett's whereabouts on the night of the murder. Why even think of the nurse? She was the custodian of the old man's health. Oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. And yet who but a nurse could so naturally offer the old man a cup? A cup he was sure contained medicine. You're making it up. The whole thing. You're just and who it but Miss Corbett, living right here in this house, would know what kind of masquerade dress she must copy? Would know when Mrs. Henderson would pass the window that night, pass and see her, and accept her, she hoped, for Lucy Depart. No. Well, that's not true. Oh, yes, Miss Corbett. Yes, Miss Corbett, that dress was the touch that wrecked you. That was your own idea, wasn't it? Not Mark's. You weren't content with a mere murderer's share of the profits. You wanted a wife's share, half of the whole estate. You wanted Lucy Depart convicted and out of the way for good. Mm. Well, I give you a toast, Miss Corbett, with Mr. Depart's excellent sherry to a particularly ruthless poisoner. And yet, you know, on the whole, I'm rather partial to female poisoners. Why, only tonight I... Mr. Cook, what's the matter, Brennan? This man's dead. Dead? I'm from cyanide if I know anything. Cyanide from that glass of sherry. Cyanide that a nurse could get quite easily. That glass was right beside you, Miss Corbett, and nobody else was near it. Too bad he didn't drink it as soon as you hoped. A second ago, we had nobody to use against you. But we have now, Miss Corbett. We have now. And I arrest you for the murder of Gordon Cross. Now close to five months ago that the prominent author was murdered. And tonight, Myra Corbett pays with her life for that crime. The former nurse, at first protesting oh, her yes. innocence, in recent Yes, grown... I'm in here, dear. Oh, oh. I thought you might. What did you cut it off for? Huh? What do you mean? The radio. Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought you wanted to talk. Poor Ted. Don't you think I know you better than that? What was on the radio? Well, there wasn't any. Okay. It was about Myra Corbett. She goes to the chair tonight. Oh. I didn't think you wanted to be reminded. I don't, really. But making such an effort to hide it only keeps it alive, doesn't it? All right, darling. You know what I came in to ask? If you wanted a cocktail before dinner? The largest one you've got. Fine. I'll get out the ice cube. I know. If I'll fix up the fire. Okay, Maria. A deal. Uh, where are some papers to start it? <laughs> right there by the bookcase. And the name's not Marie. It's Maggie. Because, darling, Marie's dead and gone forever.
Marie, we're never dead. Neither of us. It was your hand that touched that glass. I know that now. And I could return the favor. But instead, I shall ask that you dispatch your husband. This one, like all the others, now. Just a little bit of poison in the drink, Marie. Any kind of a drink. What kind, Ted? Hmm? What kind of a cocktail shall we have? Oh, <laughs> any kind, darling. Any kind at all. just heard The Burning Court from John Dixon Carr's famous novel, the first in Columbia's new series of outstanding classics and chills by world-famous authors. Tonight's play, ladies and gentlemen, has one rather special significance we think you'd like to know about. As you perhaps have heard, every fine comedian is said to cherish a secret desire to do an abrupt about face. He pines for the part of a blackguard. Well, tonight you witness the fulfillment of one such desire. The role of that literary and quite infamous diehard Gordon Cross was portrayed by none other than Hollywood's expert provoker of laughs, Charlie Ruggles, here in New York for the world premiere of his latest screen success, Friendly Enemies. The role of Marie, well, that was enacted by a young lady who long ago won national acclaim as one of Broadway's most accomplished dramatic actresses, Miss Julie Hayden. Thank you, Charlie Ruggles and Miss Julie Hayden, for your splendid performances. The play tonight as all plays in this series, was produced and directed by Charles Vander, written by Harold Metford and scored by Bernard Herman. Next week, we bring you an intensely exciting and moving drama, The Life of Nellie James. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Okay, everybody. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I've done doing it. And um, so if you want to reach us, um, you can tweet us at blindhoos, W-H-O-S-E, one word, at blindhoos. You can email um, Victor at whose blind life is it anyway at gmail.com you can email me personally at coffeegal62 that's c-o-f-f-e-e-g-a-l 62 at gmail.com and we're on Facebook Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? Anyway, I think I've got my bases covered this time. This is Pepsi Mama saying bye till next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>